Today's date is March 5th, 2018. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hit the Books Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Holcomb. And I'm Emery Saunders. And we're here to give you all the saucy deets on everything comics this week. For those of you unfamiliar with the show, this is your weekly comic book podcast where Emery and I, and perhaps a guest, go through the latest news, the new comic book releases for your local comic book shops. Please support your local comic book shops and discuss some topics about the world of comics for your amusement. If that sounds like a good time, be sure to hit like and subscribe on our YouTube channel and rate well elsewhere. It really does help us out. You can always find us on YouTube, Stitcher, and iTunes. And be sure to check out the website, www.htbvids.com, where you can find the links to all these things, as well as plenty of written content and lists of previous covers of the week. Emery, what have you been reading? Oh, before I get into it. First of all, I owe everybody a big apology. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> during the rendering process, I tried to render two things at once, and my computer said, no, fuck you. <laughs> and uh, crashed, uh. and then we lost all the audio for basically two-thirds of the podcast last week. So we're, yeah. we're going to double up this week, get the news items from last week and this week. Um, and there's another new announcement that we announced last week, but again, <laughs> because of the failed audio... Uh, we're going to have to repeat it. Yep. Um, during the new comic book releases segment of the show, um, we're going to s- cut out a few of the companies we've previously been reading. Um, just because it it's two of us doing it. We're not making money doing this. In fact, we're spending a lot of money when we do this yeah. um, as a passion project. And uh, it's eating up a lot of time doing the editing and not only doing the editing, but looking it up and reading off these, you know, smaller books so just to speed that segment along a little bit we're cutting out some of the lesser known companies or the smaller companies they're still uh you know there for comics and uh variants of the week uh so we will include them for that process but for reading out the new releases we're just going to stick to the main ones so like dc marvel image uh dark horse uh vertigo titan books uh idw uh, Dynamite. Those are the big ones we'll probably stick to and probably not vary too much from that until maybe we get things going a little bit more again. Oh, um, yeah. So just be aware of that. Going forward, we're reading uh, less comics during the Comics of the Week segment, so speed things along for those of you who don't care to pay attention during that part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll save me some editing time. Um, so, Emery, what have we been reading in the past two weeks? <laughs> Ah, there's a really good one. Actually, a couple of really good ones. Uh, The first one I'm going to mention is uh, one of our favorites. I think it's your, like, number one. Uh, Maestros! Yes. Get hyped! Steve Scrochi and Dave Stewart, do it again! Uh, Every time. I think this was last week's, but it was issue five of Maestros... And this book just gets funnier and funnier <laughs> and like better and better. And the art is still, even though it looks a, maybe a little cartoony, it's still so detailed. Uh, so <laughs> I just love everything about this book, and it just it, it just keeps getting better. It does. It, this book gives absolutely zero fucks, and it's great. As a result of that, that like there is a certain setting under which a section of the comic book takes place for issue number five. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> uh, 
kind of the thing that uh, some movies would do where uh, they take a very famous place like uh, Disney World, if for example, with the uh, National Lampoons. And we, or Costco. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we change it to something like uh, Wally World so that, uh, you know, we don't get sued. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this book does something very similar to that, even though it's even more obvious w- what place they're referencing. <laughs> um, and yeah, even in that setting, when we're not in hell, um, it, it's great. It's yeah. amazing. It's it's the perfect combination of like shock humor and like just deep scarring like really <laughs> hilarious stuff that just e- eats you to your soul and you're like oh fuck <laughs> they got me again like oh <laughs> that was so dark but so appropriate <laughs> there's like, a, there's a lot to like in this comic and it just keeps getting better if you are above the age of say 15 <laughs> you should be reading this book immediately it, this, it is so damn good. Th- this is the kind of book where you have to be 17 in order to buy it, mm. but 16 in order to fully appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So definitely check it out. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, next up, let's talk about The Brave and the Bold, number one from DC. Do we have to? Oh, we, we probably should. <laughs> <laughs> this book is not good. Uh, uh, the art... The artwork would be good if the men all didn't look so weird. Like the, the all the men look like they have bright lipstick on and like their torsos are way way too long. Batman looks like oddly bat-themed Rocky Balboa. Yeah, and you can even <laughs> see it a little bit on the cover where Batman's just like way out of place compared to this mystical elf god guy right. and uh it, Wonder Woman. It it suffers from the we know Batman sells, but uh, he clearly doesn't belong here yeah. type deal. And the book uh, it plays around with a cool concept, which is Irish mythology. Uh, you know, obviously pre-Catholicism yeah. <laughs> mythology. Um, but it does it in like the most like cringeworthy, terrible way where it's like this fertility god shows up with Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor, who are for some reason in Antarctica. That's at what a this book hotel. Felt like it felt like pure cringe. Yeah, yeah, it was really cringe. And there's a part where you know he wants to have an audience with Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman says, "Yeah, but can you give me an hour?" And he goes, "Yeah, sure." And then he just stays there to watch them have sex, and then he talk <laughs> he talks to himself. Uh, how disappointing! She wants me to leave, but I haven't seen this act in so long i know of the beast with two backs and blah 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 i'm like what the fuck is a child (laughs) writing is a like pubescent child writing this like just at the dawn of puberty Uh, it was so cringeworthy and so awful so don't buy that book don't read that book if you can avoid it yeah that's Uh, just a really bad start to that uh, a book I picked up from Burger Books, which is a division of Dark Horse, uh, Matahari, which is based on the uh, sp- <laughs> double spy. Yeah. And, uh, the, the loosely based on true events. In Europe that was spying for both the French and the Germans, and she would have these erogenous performances based on uh, kind of identity she adopted as like this Indian woman, which she 
was not. <laughs> Clearly was not. And you even get a picture of her on the front page, and she's just this fucking pasty, <laughs> fat-faced white woman. But uh, <laughs> basically, uh, if you know the story of her, she would, you know, get into bed with these people, these officials and generals and soldiers and whatnot, and get info and trade info for money, and then she would just keep doing her business and doing whatever. Uh, this book is like uh, the writer Emma Beebe's like, interpretation of events for fun you know with a little bit of like fantasizing about what was going on but it, i i don't did you read it i did for me it was just really discombobulated and like the paneling was just like all over the place and didn't make a whole lot of sense the art was fine but it wasn't it didn't stand out in any positive way either yeah um and it was just really boring it is a slog. <laughs> it was really... I was like halfway through this book. It's a pretty thick book, but halfway through this book, I was just like, fuck, can we end this already? It, it, it drags. It drags really long. And, and really, by the end of the book, nothing has really happened. You get maybe a little tiny bit of backstory, and that's about it. She's it, in court. That's about it. Right. Yeah, the, I think the end of the book thinks that it's set up for something that people might want to read later, but I don't give a fuck. I don't fucking care at all. So <laughs> It wasn't a bad book. It was just extremely boring and just uninspired. Yeah, it, and she says that she has a little interview at the end where she talks about how, yeah, you know, yes, I, I'm going to, you know, embellish things a little bit and blah, blah, blah. And I was fascinated with this woman since I was young and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, well, if it's not factual and it, you're not like 100% diving into the fictional aspect of it, then what are you doing? You're just caught in this weird limbo that doesn't make any sense and is really boring. Yeah. <laughs> so, it just like you, you have to pick one either go nuts with it yeah, or just commit to being like a hundred percent historical is like that yeah. like if they're interesting enough then the book will work if they're not then fuck it don't do it yeah we'll see how it works out but i i don't see it working out that yeah great. um <clears throat> next up we got dr strange damnation by uh nick spencer and donny cates oh Th this uh, book was awesome I'd like to retitle this book, uh, The Gang Goes to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> now on the cover, you can see... Blade! <laughs> oh, my God. He's back, boy. Yeah. You don't really get a glimpse of him until the end of this first issue, but, <laughs> spoiler alert for the new releases, there's another issue out this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. If this is a weekly, sign me the fuck up. But uh, this book basically circulates uh, the, about after the events, I guess, of the last event. Event. I don't. <laughs> I haven't been following Marvel. You have, but I just who knows. I haven't been following Marvel that well, yeah. and I still have no idea what the fuck happened in Vegas. But uh, basically, the book circulates where uh, Doctor Strange uh, basically brings everybody that was killed in Las Vegas back to the world of the living i did he use a infinity stone is that what he was using uh he was using some glowing rock it's unclear but from what any reader would be able to surmise just jumping into this book uh he somehow manages to have enough power to resurrect thousands of people who died in some messed up altercation in vegas yeah um <laughs> To the benefit of every reader reading this book, it comes at a cost. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the story is 
Uh, Mephisto was bored sitting around in hell, and then plop, Las Vegas fell into his lap, and he decided <laughs> to take it over and have a good time with it. And then plop, he's back in the real world, and he said, how dare you, sir? I was having such a great time, so I'm going to come back and continue to take control of this city. And Doctor Strange basically gambles with him at his casino and says that uh, basically Mephisto won't be able to corrupt... Uh, what I are they the new Avengers? Is that what they are? Lady uh, Thor and Falcon and Black I, Panther. I mean, they're a gaggle of heroes, so it's easy to just call them a subset of the Avengers. I mean, like I'm pretty sure a lot of them have been Avengers at one point. Yeah, or Defenders at, in the event of like Iron Fist. Sure. Oh, and Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Hawkeye the other yeah. Miss Mar- or uh, Captain Marvel, not Miss Marvel. So. Yeah, all these characters are being corrupted by Mephisto in the city, and uh, Doctor Strange's little assistant says he's going to go fetch uh, <laughs> all the heroes familiar with the occult to come and aid them. And he's going to need every last one of them, especially Blade. <laughs> so I, I definitely recommend picking this up. The artwork is really good. The story premise is really fun and good. Um, it's, uh, the, the dialogue is really funny and humorous and even kind of makes fun of some of the stuff Nick Spencer has done in the past, which I thought I could appreciate. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was... I was just all I was all over it, and again, you're the Marvel guy. I'm the DC guy, so that's saying a lot. Yeah, they, they pulled me back in <laughs> without uh, X Men to my. <laughs> y- yeah, that's really hard to do. Surprisingly, no X Men were featured in this, and it was a good Marvel book. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'm totally down for this. I am all along for the ride. Um, some a digital book we read. We finally got to read Kick Ass. The, the new one featuring the uh, uh, former soldier, uh, mother of two, <laughs> uh, who happens to be black, but that it doesn't just, really matter, it, it, in it, it Arizona, ju- and fighting crime, or oh, oh, more, it, more accurately, becoming a criminal and stealing from criminals. Uh, th- uh, there is one way in which her being black <laughs> matters, and that is in uh, terms of... Did we really just read a book by Mark Millar where we saw basically nothing but a series of stereotypes being reinforced? Yeah, I think this book is probably going to be applauded just because of what's going on and people aren't going to actually read it. But if you actually read it, there's some really kind of potentially offensive things and stereotypes about black people. Really fucked up things. One of which being the deadbeat, not present dad. Yeah. And the other thing being that when this woman is put at ends. <laughs> yeah. When she's down on her luck, she yeah, turns to She crime. turns immediately to crime over other options and literally makes a list of other options and crosses <laughs> them out and chooses crime. <laughs> so I don't know what Mark Millar is trying to do. Uh, I'm not liking it very much. I, we, which I is think... funny because we love the Hit Girl book. Yeah. But this is so, like, just as we predicted, it is so off base. The military aspect pissed yeah, me you, off. You have a very special uh, vantage point, given that you have military experience. Yeah, I was an infantry, in, I was an infantryman in the army. Yeah, like, uh, and 
Like, I can tell you firsthand that 90% of the bullshit that was in that <laughs> book was just bulls. Just complete bullshit. She goes from being deployed and in direct combat in Afghanistan <laughs> to going home and being out of the service completely in 12 weeks. I'm telling you, I couldn't wipe my ass in 12 <laughs> weeks when I was in the army because there would be like six layers of fucking, you know, paperwork and fucking every, you have to clear every little mental health thing and physical health thing. And then you got to turn in all your shit and then they'd give it back to you and say, fuck you, rewash it. And like, you can't, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Are they going to suffer from PTSD if they wipe their ass with this toilet paper? It's just, <laughs> there's so many levels of just bullshit bureaucracy that there's yeah. no way she would be out of the service like in 12 <laughs> weeks. I mean, we had guys in our unit that were basically discharged dishonorably for either getting in trouble with some drug charges or being too fat for too long and not making weight or whatever the case may be. And even they took fucking year <laughs> to fucking clear <laughs> out, you know, and they weren't in a combat zone or anything. So it's just so ridiculous in that aspect. And then they like in the book, she's talking about how great the resources were, how if she was still in the military when this deadbeat dad leaves that she would have the resources. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't. You would be <laughs> fucked, just like you're fucked now. Uh, yeah. yeah. And apparently she's been doing this for, I think it was eight years. Is that what they said? Yeah. Eight years. She's got two kids and a husband, but they don't live anywhere near post. <laughs> and they live in a completely different area, and they have their own house in the middle of fucking nowhere, which doesn't make any goddamn sense. Again, if add, you had, add it to the fucking list. If you understood <laughs> anything about the military, specifically in America, Mark Millar, you you would realize you're doing this completely wrong. <laughs> and there's oh. just a lot of assumptions that are really off. A lot of interpretations that are really off. And then the story itself is just so dumb. <laughs> Why would this middle-aged woman who is the mother of two kids adopt the superhero outfit of a Jewish boy, teenage boy in Brooklyn who gets his ass kicked all the time? And <laughs> It would be one thing if she donned the bright green onesie and still managed to take her guns with her. But no, we're using yellow sticks, <laughs> bright yellow sticks and rain boots. Like, are you fucking, are you insane? You're hanging uh, out with Grant Morrison way too long, <laughs> way too much, too many drugs, Mark yeah. Millar. But it's just so ridiculous. Uh. If you're familiar with Arizona, it's not like a close quarters combat type of place. It's very spread out. There's a lot a going on. The perfect place. To use a gun. And, uh, <laughs> and of all places, the base your fucking crime-ridden story. Albuquerque, New Mexico is where she goes. <laughs> Hundreds of miles away from where her family is. This book makes no sense at all. Oh. If you, and, and the worst part. I, I'm sorry. We rag on this guy all the time, but I think he deserves it. Like I get it. Artists have a specific style. But John Romita Jr., your art style is box. Everything is a box. Everybody looks exactly the same. It's it just is... a box face with a box body. It's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. It's so off-putting. It's Ugh. so off-putting because the colors look great, but then the box, everything's a box. He only gets that kind of work because of his father. It's the only reason. And Maybe. I mean, he's 
he's done some stuff in the past, but like it's just well, it, his style now is, yeah. is box everything. Everything looks the same, and it's really fucking confusing in some panels because you're like, what is going on? Which character is saying that? Right. It it doesn't help that uh, we managed to make everyone in this book, except for the stereotypical. Um, White woman that deadbeat dad left the his oh, wife yeah. for. Not only is he a deadbeat dad, but he leaves his wife for a white bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, come on, man. I'm pretty sure she's the only one whose race I could easily surmise that wasn't black. Everyone else is a varying shade of beige. Yeah. And when they're all box-shaped, it's really hard to tell who's who. <laughs> But yeah, it's not all around. The writing is bad. The dialogue is kind of cringeworthy. Like basically everything that isn't a family moment, which I think there's better representations of in another book called Silencer. Yeah. (laughs) Which John Romito Jr. also works on, unfortunately. But again, like John Romito Jr. has done good art and his father is legendary. But his current style is just so samey and boxy and boring and ugly. It actively makes me not want to look at the page. It makes me want to close the book and put it away, which is not a good sign for any art artist, you know? Um, It's just, it's, it's rough. Um, Yeah, it really is. Another book we read was the second issue of hungry ghosts, which came out this week. Um, It's fine. It's fun. Yeah. I, mean, it's I like the first issue a little bit more because I like the whole, the whole premise they were building around the main story besides the short stories. But And I expected like an extra one since they already got all the explaining stuff out of the way. Like the premise is already explained. So I thought we'd get three short stories instead of two. But instead we got two. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I'm sensing that that's just going to be the what we can expect going forward. Yeah. Which... Is fine. I mean, the, mm-hmm. these stories are interestingly well crafted enough and short enough for me to think, oh, like what? Was, oh God, that that story was so nasty. <laughs> okay, and, what's the next one? And the artwork does a good job selling it too. So, oh yeah, big, big kudos to the the artist on the book. Uh, if you don't know, Anthony Bourdain is writing this book, and it's basically the premise is a bunch of chefs are doing this big event for this really rich guy who's kind of seedy and undergroundy and you know yeah um and he brings all the chefs out to thank them for the great meal and he sits them down and they begin participating in this little thing that i guess samurais used to do where they would sit in a circle in a room filled with a hundred candles i think it was and they would each tell a story and blow out the candle uh to dismiss the evil spirits or whatever while looking in a mirror and looking in the mirror part was to determine if you you were becoming a demon or being possessed or whatever and then oh no and basically whoever was willing to stay the longest was the bravest among them and no one would ever make it to the end and stuff and they would all tell like supernatural stories about their experiences or about someone's experiences that they had met and talked to or whatever else yeah and they basically do this but with like food related ghost stories um yeah, Anthony it's Bourdain all food being, themed. Yeah, Anthony B- Bourdain being famous for being a chef and being the host of No Reservations and uh, that CNN show. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, but I love Anthony Bourdain. I love his humor, and like there was even stuff in there that I recognized directly from No Reservations. <laughs> 
and uh thought yeah. that was that was pretty cool so uh check that out it's a fun book uh if you're into kind of a horror story sit down type yeah. of book and it, it that that's a book that's going to be going for a while so yeah um another book we read is the second issue of silencer yes which is part of the new era of dc heroes which we've been happy to see but uh well more on that later yes more <laughs> on that later uh the silencer the second issue it was still good still really good like the first issue was fantastic um i think this one was a little less good just because it was so formulaic to me yeah and i thought the artwork was worse I thought the the Romita <laughs> problems that we had in the first book were just like expounded even more, and it might be because he was trying to rush the book out, you know, because yeah. with all the delays DC has been dealing with, I'm sure he's been overworked a little bit. Yeah, but I think that's the thing that's killing me about Silencer is that the story is really good. Yeah, but I don't want to look at it because yeah. the art is so it's ugly. I'm just gonna come out and say it. It's fucking ugly yeah the art the art doesn't match the quality of the writing and the dialogue unfortunately um again john romita jr has done good art in the past it's not that he's not a legitimate artist or anything like that Uh, he's just he has the longest time now he has this one style that uh, i'm pretty sure he sticks to this because he can just push it out really quick and i'm sure it's very efficient but it's not very fun to look at yeah no Um, so uh, take that as you will. Good writing, good book. I recommend you read it. I think it is a little formulaic. It looks like hopefully the third issue breaks this a little bit, but it looks like the the form formula for each book is going to be beginning starts with an exciting fight or event, something like that. Middle, there's a little funny interaction with her family who doesn't know her past, yeah. uh, her kid and her husband. And then it's going to bleed into another big, exciting event with a cliffhanger at the end. And it looks like that's going to be the premise, the formula of every issue, where she gets into this big situation, solves whatever situation happened at the end of the last book, goes home, deals with the repercussions, and cleans up the bloodstains and whatever else, and has a humorous moment with her family who's completely unaware, and then bleeds into the next big event, you know, where she fights someone else or someone else threatens her and that's going to end on a cliffhanger and then the next issue will address it. And uh, I'm hoping it breaks from that formula because I, I hate th- when things are too formulaic because it's really, it's just, you see it, everything it becomes, coming. Yeah, the, that kind of predictability can kind of kill a book. But it, it seems that's very clearly the formula for the first two issues and I uh, I hope it gets broken a little bit in the third issue. But Yeah, uh, it story, I mean... While formulaic, still really good. I think the 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 one thing that uh, I found interesting was how I was able to uh, come up with a very easy way to describe this character. Uh, Silencer is basically what happens when you make John Wick... Uh, wife who still has her family intact <laughs> and give her exactly one spell from D&D. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> yeah, that's her spell. Shh. <laughs> so yeah, I like it. I'm looking forward to keep reading it and seeing what happens. And, and then I'm half looking forward to it because I know that's going to mean having to sit through all of that John Ramita Jr. 
cookie cutter artwork that he yeah. does. I'm, I, I'm hoping maybe he takes his time in the future, changes the style just a little bit because it's it's really hard to look at right now. It's really hard to figure out what's going on. That's the worst part. You right, know, you can't tell what the hell's going on. Um, and then the final book we read is another Age of DC Heroes, New Age of DC Heroes. Uh, which, if you don't, you're not familiar with, is an effort to kind of reinvigorate old characters and also introduce more diverse characters that are brand new and have new powers or whatever. The problem is that so many of them seem like Marvel ripoffs, <laughs> which is very ironic because Marvel kind of made a name for itself on ripping off DC characters. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> now we have DC doing kind of the opposite to be to diversify, I guess, which we <laughs> applaud, but like maybe the method is. A little flawed. Yeah, I, I think the <laughs> it would be one thing if one of the titles was doing this, but it seems like there's Several only one titles. title. There's only one title yeah. that isn't doing this. Yeah. Uh, but this is the new book, The Terrifics, which we've been seeing in previews at the back of books for like two months now. Yeah, uh, this, yeah. This oh. was written by Ivan Reese and uh, Jeff Lemire. And um, it's, I I really like it. Uh, to be honest, it's it's a blatant ripoff of Fantastic Four. We have a stretchy guy. We have a malformed, <laughs> monstrous type of guy. We have yep. a, a woman who is intangible <laughs> instead of invisible. And we have uh, Mr. Terrific, who is kind of our tech genius guy uh, and kind of wild card <laughs> but uh it's it's a good book i really like the dialogue unfortunately like a quarter of it's been spoiled from the previews um, yeah so like th there wasn't a whole lot at the beginning to be surprised by or you know i literally just skipped it because i've already read it three times yeah um, i think that's the biggest drawback from this book is the way that they've advertised just like yeah. showing you and I'm sure pages. that'll be solved by the second issue because we won't have the preview. Instead, we'll have brimstone previews for forever. <sighs> but um, I, I don't see why you would even preview a comic book in the back of another comic book because comic books are already, by their nature, very short. Yeah. So you, you kind of lessen, yeah, yeah. You lessen the experience. Yep. Um, but I liked it. Uh, I liked the humorous aspect of Plastic Man. I always love Plastic Man because he's just <laughs> such a dick. <laughs> um, yeah, Metamorpho in there. I don't know who this new lady is, but she shows up at the end and is, is <laughs> Wazo. <laughs> I, I think that's the, the point dumb, of her. More dumb names from these DC characters. Yeah, that's uh, like the point of her. We is have that Sideways and Wazo. Oh. oh, great character. And Damage. Uh. Yeah, these names are so cool. Mr. Terrific. Uh, uh, oh, he's been there for a while. Yeah, he's been Doesn't around. Doesn't make his name any less dumb. Yeah. So DC, let's uh, let's not add more dumb names to an already large pantheon of dumb names. Sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Good book. Dumb name. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the Terrifics was. I think it was off to a really good start. Uh, you, you even kind of see, in addition to the Fantastic Four, you even get to see Galactus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it's a blatant. Um, it's it, a blatant it, ripoff of Fantastic Four. It but is. It's shameless. It, it. I think it even embraces it a little bit, and I think that's a good thing because if you're familiar with what Marvel has been doing with the Fantastic Four. Aka nothing. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of fun because I I've never been like the biggest Fantastic Four fan, 
but like I do appreciate them being there and what they add to the comics and like this kind of yeah. fills a void if you're looking for that type of book. Yeah, it, I find it funny that the the two characters out in front uh, are wearing white and black, which is the the last set of colors that we saw. What 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 they were calling at that point the future foundation. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, you remember this color scheme? <laughs> We're using it now. And uh, it looks like our next book, Brimstone, is going to be a ripoff of Ghost Rider. So look forward to that. That's cool, too. <laughs> yeah, uh, a book about totally not Johnny Blaze, totally not making a deal with totally not the devil, <laughs> and <laughs> totally not turning into a fire demon as a result. Yeah. <laughs> But it's cool. Uh, I'm like the Terrifics and the Silencer. I think are the two best books so far. I really want to see Immortal Men, but again, it got delayed so many times because of Jim Lee being overworked and overstretched there at DC. But eventually, again, it's a terrible business model. We need to change it. Just yeah. make the comic, make it six issues, twelve issues ahead of time. That's what you contract them for. Pay them a commission plus a percentage. Uh, after they're already sold and just let them make it and then release it when it's finished that's what i would prefer you know if you got a big event or universe changing thing have them all do it at once and tell them this is the deadline get it done this is how many issues blah 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 yeah because this living paycheck to paycheck thing is just awful and like it's usually on the writer the writer doesn't get it done in time and then he delays the entire process because you know because you can't do it all at the same time you have to do one thing at a time you write the script then the the artist will illustrate it and then the inker and then the colorist and then the letterist and onward and onward until you get to publication every you got to do all that hinges on the writer yeah and if the writer is doing too many projects which is often what's happening because um, they don't get paid enough. And I think that's what's going on with Scott Snyder specifically. He's just stretched too thin and been working on too many things. Um, but Dark he's not nights. the only one. There's a lot of them out there. Um, so just uh, something to consider. DC, Marvel, and rethink other large comic model. companies. Please rethink it. It's <laughs> You can't live paycheck to paycheck as a business and expect it to last for much longer. The thing that kills me about that business model is that somehow... Under that business model, we got an entire year of America Chavez. (laughs) (laughs) Your favorite. (laughs) Uh, I'll kill you. But I, I I think that's everything, right? Uh, yeah, I think for the past two weeks. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, we don't have uh, did the content match the drapes this week because we still have to read the Aquaman books uh, right. to get caught up. We do have the issues. I have them sitting over there in the corner. But once we get around to actually catching up with the content, then we can tell you if the content matches the drapes for those issues. So uh, look forward to that in the very near future. Eventually. And with that, let's get into the news. Again, we have a little bit double the news basically i trimmed down a few things but we got plenty of news for you for the past two weeks oh yeah first up the production of the dceu batgirl movie has been put on indefinite hiatus following the announcement that joss whedon has left the project after failing to create a script um basically his quote was along the lines of uh, I got really excited. The DC guys were really, really welcoming and warm and kind to me and gave me everything I needed and set me up and blah, 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 because they were excited to get me. But I walked in and I didn't really have an idea. And then as I sat around trying to write scripts and trying different things, I realized I just didn't have a story. 
that, that's very pretty pretty basically his quote his quote almost yes. like guys i really want to do this but i don't know what to do <laughs> so, like it, it's uh, fucking bad girl but i think if you read some of the subtext of it i think from his direct quote you can look it up i'll maybe i'll post it here if i can find it for you um it seemed like the producers, whoever whoever was guiding him, were being a little overbearing, and that might be why he left the project. And I think he was trying to save them a little face by being kind about it. Yeah. That, that was very much the feeling I was getting. And that's not surprising, because Warner Brothers is notorious for having some crazy people <laughs> uh, that are directing things and won't, won't allow the directors and the writers to just do their job. Yeah, so, th- there um, is such a thing as uh, too much interference from the studio. Yeah, and I mean, you can even uh, that what was that documentary Superman Lives. Yeah, uh, with Kevin Smith and uh, Nick Cage and stuff, and they're talking about how they were trying to produce that film and all the things that were going wrong behind the scenes. Not <laughs> only because of the goofy setup, but because of <laughs> producers behind the scenes trying to insert things like giant spiders. Which eventually became Wild Wild West, <laughs> if you see the end of that movie. <laughs> um, uh, apparently, we're, we're in the habit of recycling when it comes to Hollywood. Yeah. Apparently, there was a producer that was cracked out and just wanted giant spiders somewhere. Giant fucking spiders, trying man. Trying to insert it in everything, and nobody wanted to, and he I, just kept pushing it. And eventually, I gotta put giant spiders in this movie, uh, man. It's, it's a all really, I want. It's a really funny story. I think it, uh, Kevin Smith even does some stand-up for it. it addresses it so look out for that that was really funny and i think i think that's more likely what was going on joss whedon went there thinking it was going to be similar to marvel uh studios and was like warner brothers is fucking crazy i'm not working with these fucking people (laughs) but you know maybe he really just didn't have a story didn't know what to do but i'm a little encouraged that they said it's on indefinite hiatus and they said they're not currently searching for a new creator because that tells me maybe they are gonna reboot (laughs) <laughs> maybe they will stop making some of these movies and put an endpoint at it so we can get a n- whole new universe with totally different people. Shazam's uh, still happening. Fuck. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Sh- Don't do is, it. Shazam is currently Although shooting. Shazam is the reboot, but they're saying Ben Affleck's going to make an appearance in it, so I'm like, fuck. <laughs> what are you doing? He doesn't even want to be Batman anymore. Uh, y- stop y- it. Y- you know what they should have done? Flashpoint. Oh, that's it, on the docket. That that's literally. But there's movies after it that are on the docket. That that is literally the same stupid continuity. Oh, I don't want it. Days of Future Past was a movie that was actually made, where we actively in yeah, front but, of everyone. But the stuff that predated <laughs> a Days of Future Past actually had some integrity and good quality to it. If you don't count X three. Or X-Men Origins Wolverine. It was fine. X-Men Origins Wolverine? Yeah, it wasn't even continuity. They didn't count it. They, they said directly, <laughs> they said directly, oh, this movie doesn't count. <laughs> Before they even made Days of Future Past. They really did. It's a real thing that happened. Uh, the point here <laughs> is that there there are literally movies... That are not Back to the Future, where we're watching someone reboot or retcon 
an entire fucking timeline. You don't need to make a terrible movie starring Ezra Miller to do it. I'm sorry. I don't. I can't watch Ezra Miller Flash anymore. He was, I can't watch Woody Allen pretend to be Barry Allen. It's so bad. Now, see, here's the thing with that. Ezra Miller, I'm pretty sure, is a product of a director just not having... Bad writing, bad direction that you can't change now because he already fucking established it in his <laughs> stupid, ugly, plastic, rub- rubber-made costume. <laughs> I hate everything it's, about his character. It, it, that This was the thing. Actors are beholden to their directors. What we saw in Justice League was someone who was so busy trying to direct all of these other people that he let what happened with Barry Allen slide. I'm pretty sure. I don't want excuses. I just want it (laughs) to end. That's all. I just want it done. Just... You're already making a Joker movie in a different, totally different timeline and universe with a different actor while the present actor is still making another movie. We'll see, of course, Scorsese stays on for that one. He's he's the producer. It's like fucking Chris Nolan producing Man of Steel. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, that Superman movie with Red Tornado in it? <laughs> God. <laughs> Red Tornado killed his dad. <laughs> so stupid. I just wanted all to be done. Next up, <laughs> one of the reasons for the delay of 21st Century Fox's new mutants is the addition of more characters, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Specifics, more characters. Specifics are unknown. So we heard initially that the delays were because they wanted to focus more on the horror aspect of the trailer, and apparently the, the actual movie was less of that than they had originally planned. But now it seems like they're adding characters, which, whatever. <laughs> as long as it's good, that's all I care about. Uh, yeah. So we'll see what happens. It was a really long delay, though. It's like nine month delay. So that's it's I, it's I coming mean, out next year. It was supposed to come out this year. I mean that that kind of uh, development means like rewriting. Yeah. And I'm assuming they're taking that long so that they can make sure. That the script makes sense. Yeah. I'm hoping it's not a quality issue, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Before too long. Next up, Stan Lee, who has been dealing with health issues for the past few months, uh, has had to cancel an appearance at Wizard World Cleveland after a bout of pneumonia. Uh, if you don't know how bad pneumonia can be, especially especially on people who are older and maybe have prior heart and lung issues like he does. Um, it's it, it can be really devastating, and some people just never recover from it. So, yeah. Uh, best wishes to Stanley. Hope he gets better. Hope everything's all right, and he gets back to doing what he does. Excelsior! Excelsior! Uh, next up, fear not, true believers. This is big news. Neil Gaiman, who's the creator of uh, Sandman, is heading up a new Sandman universe under the umbrella of DC Comics. It will be headlined by Sand- Sandman and accompanied by the titles. Book of Magic, following a young wizard named Tim Hunter. The Dreaming, a title focusing on Matthew the Raven and Cain and Abel. House of Whispers, which will explore the origins of the house. And a new Lucifer comic. It will premiere on August 8th Ooh. of this year. So I, that, I'm excited for Lucifer. I thought that was pretty cool. I'm, I'm really into it. Uh, I, I read the initial run of Sandman. I didn't read the Overture, I think, which is the sequel he made. 
Um, but it's really cool. If you haven't read the Sandman books, they're really, really creative. Really, really uh, almost Grant Morrison esque and how trippy it can be sometimes. It's it, very ethereal. Yeah, it's very psychedelic in the way it's portrayed yeah. and paneled and uh the stories even a little like out there is you know traveling from place to place and obviously the sandman if you're familiar with what the sandman is oh yeah he occupies your dreams and death is his sister <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's pretty cool uh are you excited for this uh yes yes uh i have been wanting sandman to be competently translated to film for some time because i i want some of that uh dr strange-esque trippiness yeah it's to to just be displayed in all its glory i agree on the big screen i agree i think i think it would be the perfect character to put on the big screen just oh, because God. it's so visually appealing oh um, yeah so yeah and, and also the plethora of characters it could introduce like uh, I was going to say Lucifer, but no, Lucifer actually has his own fucking he TV, has a TV show. show. Yeah. So look forward to that. That's really cool. Uh, next up, uh, more movie type news. Sony's The Crow reboot, starring Jason Momoa, has received a release date. It will hit theaters on October nineteenth, twenty nineteen. Wait, wait uh, uh, hold on. Who's starring in this? Jason Momoa. <laughs> yeah, Wait, yeah. Uh, I I don't think I heard you right. What was his name again? Aquaman. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, my man. Fucking no. So I will not believe. For a fucking second, unless he somehow manages to get himself down to 120-something pounds, <laughs> much like Christian Bale did for The Machinist. Yeah. I mean, you're a much bigger Crow fan than I am. I don't really care. If he can do it right, more power to him. But The, the idea behind The Crow, which is probably one of the first like heavy revenge porn comics that were ever released. Yeah. Um and eventually made into a famous movie. Yeah. With some changes. Some changes here and there. Some things got condensed. Um This is a story about a musician who gets my man. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't in Jason Momoa's current form is very like he he has made a name for himself as the fucking beefy muscly fuck seven foot tall monster he is motherfucker is Cal Drogo <laughs> like he's literally been inspiring people who never got into fantasy to dress like him from fucking Game of Thrones yeah because he's so fucking manly. <laughs> Like I, I can't seem to divorce the idea of who I already think Jason Momoa is, to who I already have established in my mind, who and what the crow is. I'm gonna wait for the pictures of his face to come out, <laughs> and that motherfucker better be thin as all fucking get out. We'll see. 
I, I mean, you don't have to be thin to be a musician. So it, I don't know. It true, but th- and maybe I'm 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 thinking that it's probably going to be more like they're really subtle with his living parts, but then when he becomes kind of the reborn guy that comes to murder you <laughs> and terrorize you, yeah, uh, I f- I feel like that's when the Cal Drogo full effect will come into play, where he will seem like a monster and, like, and you know not only like supernaturally but also physically i don't know i could see that maybe <sighs> my man <laughs> <laughs> next up uh dc's doom patrol has received even more delays sorry dc just keeps delaying shit doom patrol number 11 will now premiere on april 4th uh tw- 2018 19 weeks after its original expected release date so don't expect much more from doom patrol because they're, they're so far behind at this point i'd be surprised if they even finish it thanks guys um and finally the biggest news that happened we talked about last week but obviously we lost the footage um but beloved comic book fan director and podcaster kevin smith survived a massive heart attack in between his stand-up shows in glendale arizona um uh, not sure if he met kick-ass there but he'll keep <laughs> us posted um but i just thought it, it would be good to read some of uh what he said about the 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 event um uh, And he can explain it better than I can, so I'll just let him explain in his own words. After the first show this evening, I had a massive heart attack. The doctor who saved my life told me I had a 100% blockage of my LAD artery, a.k.a. the Widowmaker. If I hadn't canceled the show, too, to go to the hospital, I would have died tonight. But for now, I'm still above ground. And then he followed it up with a lengthier explanation. Uh, I was trying to do a killer stand-up special this evening, but I might have gone too far. After the first show, I felt kind of nauseous. I threw up a little, but it didn't seem to help. Then I started sweating buckets and my chest felt heavy. Turns out I had a massive heart attack. The doctor who saved my life at Glendale Hospital told me I had a 100% blockage of my LAD artery, also known as the Widowmaker, because when it goes, you're a goner. If I hadn't canceled the second show to go to the hospital, the doctor said I would have died tonight. For now, I'm still above ground. But this is what I learned about myself during the crisis. Death was always a thing I was most terrified in life. When the time came, I never imagined I'd ever be able to die with dignity. I assumed I'd die screaming like my dad, who lost his life to a massive heart attack. But even as they cut into my groin to slip in the stint into the lethal Widowmaker, I was filled with a sense of calm. I've had a great life, loved by parents who raised me to become the individual I am. I've had a weird, wonderful career in all sorts of media, amazing friends, the best wife in the world, and an incredible daughter who made me a dad. Also, fun fact, his daughter's name is Harley. Not after the motorcycle. After Harley Quinn. (laughs) True story. Uh, Thank you, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) At least it's not blanket. (laughs) Don't be ignorant. You're blanket. Oh, no. I'm going to name you Prince. Apple. Pr- Prince Michael. How about Northwest? What the? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That is a direction. Much like sideways. <sighs> Kevin continues. But as I stared into the infinite, I realized I was relatively content. 
Yes, I'd miss life as it moved on without me. And I was bummed we weren't going to get to make the Jay and Silent Bob reboot before I shuffled loose the mortal coil. But generally speaking, I was okay with the end. If this is going to be it, I've gotten to... <clears throat> I've gotten to do many cool things, and I've had so many adventures. How could I be shitty about finally paying the tab? But the good folks at Glendale Hospital had other plans and expertise to mend me. Total strangers saved my life tonight, as well as my friends Jordan Monsanto and Emily Dawn, who called the ambulance. This is all part of my mythology now, and I'm sure I'll be facing some lifestyle changes. Maybe it's time to go vegan. He's not even vegan yet, and he's already preaching about being vegan. <laughs> Calm down, Kev. <laughs> the amount of weed you smoke, he might as well be vegan. <laughs> but the point of this post is to tell you that I faced my greatest fear tonight, and it wasn't as bad as I had always imagined it would be. I don't want my life to end, but I can't complain. It was such a gift. And I just want to uh, push this issue further to say Kevin Smith is only 47 years old. Yeah, he is not old by any standard. Um, so it just it goes to show, like you, you never know what, what life's gonna sh- throw at you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can talk about Kevin's genetics; he's prone to doing this because his father died from a heart attack. Uh, yes, he has had a history with weight loss. You know, where he he was so big at one point that he actually got kicked off an airport. Uh, yeah. off an airliner because he was too big for the seat. And that's when he knew he had to lose weight. And he's done a great job. He's far thinner. He doesn't even look like the same person anymore. He is yeah. far thinner than he used to be, uh, which, to his credit, is awesome. Um, <clears throat> but even all that aside, it just goes to show you never know when your time's going to come. For me, my mother, she died at 45 years old. Uh, she had had some minor health issues before, but the, it just one day hit her. Her heart stopped beating. No blockage, just an electrical problem. Genetic problem, I suspect. Um, but her heart stopped beating, and uh, you know she was gone, just like that. And it just, you know, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. She had always spoke about things and done things like she had, would have plenty of time to make up for it and change it and whatever. You might not, you know. It's, it just goes to show, like, may, live for today. Try to, even if you fail and stumble and, you know, forgive yourself and move on and try something new, you know. Whatever you're passionate about, you know, however you got to do it, pursue it because you only get one life to live and you never know when you're going to go. I might be gone tomorrow. Emery might be gone tomorrow. You never know. Yeah. You know, might get in a car crash, might have a heart event, might <laughs> might get shot, what, whatever. Literally anything <laughs> a could meteor happen. meteor could fall from the fucking sky. I don't know. <laughs> um but it, yeah. it, it, I think it just goes to show, and I think Kevin exemplifies this perfectly. He took a huge risk. You know, he maxed out a bunch of credit cards and got a big loan from the bank to rent all this camera equipment, you know, <laughs> back when you couldn't record everything on your iPhone. Right. And filmed his first feature film, uh, Clerks, which, and then he, he took it to an indie fest and tried to, you know, kind of show it off. And then he didn't expect anything from it. But people were like, this is really good. Let's pick it up. And that's how he built his career from that one project and that huge risk he took now i'm not saying go out and get in a bunch of debt to try every little mundane thing you want to do maybe right. be, even he says i wish i had done it a little bit more responsibly but take a risk take a chance pursue the things you like if you always wanted to be a writer write something now stop you know saying i'll do it eventually i'll, I'll do it next year or next week or whatever when i have more time or whatever the case you know write that book write that song uh 
learn that dance, go perform on stage at your local theater, or what, whatever the case may be, whatever your passion is, you know, fucking learn how to drive racing cars. I don't care. Whatever you're <laughs> passionate about uh, within obvious reasonably things you know right if your dream is to murder everybody let's not do that yeah no (laughs) but um (laughs) or all the producers at warner brothers (gasps) no don't do that uh dang it the cocaine (laughs) will do it soon enough (laughs) um yes let let the drugs run their natural course (laughs) (laughs) but seriously this is like I, I I'm so glad that Kevin Smith got through it all right. He's I think he's already gone home, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he put out a video explaining everything in fine detail and very Kevin Smith humor <laughs> detail. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of his. Not only you know so a lot of his movies like Dogma is probably my favorite Kevin Smith movie. Even weird things like Tusk, you know, it re- <laughs> just came out of nowhere. It's really like weird like, concept, but it was really cool. Yeah, uh, in practice. Um, he's written comic books. He's on two comic book podcasts. Well, one's kind of a Hollywood podcast that talks about comics. Right. And then Fat Man and Batman is a direct comic book uh, podcast. And he heads up Smodco, which has all those different podcasts or whatever that also include other comic book com- podcasts, like the guys from Comic Book Men and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So he, even if you don't like necessarily appreciate his style of humor or you know his style of looking at the world... I, you, you still got to respect him for how much he puts his, himself out there and just takes the shot, takes the risk and lives his life, you know, with his heart on his sleeve. And I think that's really an admirable. And um, just listening to his story about how calm he felt because he f- did feel like he had done everything he would w- hope to do and pursue and whatever else. You know, I, I took that to heart because if I was in the same situation i'm not so so sure i'd live without those regrets you know i yeah uh, there's several things i would love to do or want to do in the future or whatever that i've always made excuses for you know maybe i'll change that or at least try (laughs) you know i'm i'm sure that there are at least one or two things that maybe like i know i wish i would probably like i would probably wish that i had gone back and done things differently Mm -hmm. at least in a few different cases yeah and I think some of that is just forgiving yourself for past mistakes. Everybody has them. Yeah. Every, you know, I, I sometimes I lay awake thinking about stupid things that I shouldn't <laughs> even worry about anymore, but I can't help it, you know? Right. And I, I think everybody has that a little bit, you know? Um, uh, at least anybody that's taken a risk. Um, so uh, just something to consider. I'm really glad Kevin is healing up and it looks like he's going to be just fine thanks to the doctors at Glendale. Um uh it's just just another reminder that you know life is really short and you you don't take it for granted yeah as much as you have the opportunity make something of it so um that's all of the news for this week um again i recommend you go out and watch that video it's 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 really funny i thought it was going to be bawling by the end but he was so ridiculous and funny that i (laughs) i didn't bawl too much yeah (laughs) (laughs) if Kevin Smith is known for anything. He's known for keeping things light. <laughs> yeah. And that, my friends, is the news. So, <clears throat> I'm going to keep it short and simple so that, you know, we don't die. Bob appreciates it. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> which comic books are we hitting up this week? Well, Emery, I'm glad you did ask. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we're reading less companies uh, from here on out, so be aware of that. Yep, for first the up, sake of expediency. First up, from Marvel Comics, we have Ant-Man and the Wasp, 
prelude number one. Preluding to the movie that's coming out. Uh, is it is it this year? The end of this year? I think there's, it might be the Infinity end of this War, year. Infinity War, and then there's Ant-Man and Wasp, right? Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Avengers, number 683. We have Black Bolt, number 11. We have Captain America, number 699. We have Doctor Strange, Damnation, number 2. So go pick this up and pick up the first one, too, because yes. they're good. And yes. I, think, I think the regular Doctor Strange title is also tied into this. So you, you might want to pick that one up because it came out last week. For the love of God, get this book. It's really good. Um, next up, Hawkeye, number 16. Iceman, number 11. Rise of the Black Panther, number 3. Rogue and Gambit, which has a really cool cover that you pointed out to me. I oh, I didn't yeah. notice it because I wasn't looking too closely at it, but they, it has ro- modern Rogue and Gambit going up against like every iteration of Rogue and Gambit, all their different costume designs. Oh yeah, it it's very <laughs> it's very symbolic. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I like it a lot. I <laughs> I didn't appreciate it because I didn't realize what was going on until you pointed it out to me. So really cool. Oh yeah. Uh, next up we have She Hulk number one sixty three. We have Spider-Man, number 238. We have Star Wars, number 44. We have The Amazing Spider-Man, number 797. I really hate these high numbers. It really confuses new fans. I I wish for every new line they would just start a new numbering. Yeah. Uh, One of these covers doesn't even feature the title character on it. Like honestly, I feel like you could just put like the official like overall numbering in like a small part of the corner. Yeah. And then keep a brand new numbering on the main label. Right. I, f- I feel like that would be a very simple solution that would satisfy everybody yeah, and like make the- it less less intimidating for newcomers to hop in, you know, cuz they know exactly where to hop in. Yeah, there's like d- doing the the one of six or the one of four, or the one of seven. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, you don't even have to put a final number on it. Just have something less than like a year's worth, you know. Yeah. So every issue is one through twelve, and then as or however long the writer's on it. If the writer's on it for twenty four issues, great. Go one to twenty four and then end it. Yeah. I think that would work perfectly, and then you can have the overall numbering one thousand one hundred and two. You know. Yeah. In a, in a, like a tiny corner or something. You know, it wouldn't cost much ink. It would be, it wouldn't be obstructive. It'd be really simple. There just there are better ways. <laughs> Next up, uh, we have the Infinity Countdown number one. Um, we have Venom number one sixty three. We have X Men Gold number twenty three. We have X Men Red number two with a pretty cool cover. And um, that wraps up Marvel. From DC Comics, we have Bane Conquest, number 10. We have Batman, number 42. We have big, big release. Batman White Knight, number 6. Oh, oh get, get hyped. hyped. Now, this book didn't win the comic of the week, um, but in retrospect, we love it more and more. And yeah. The reason we justified it not becoming the comic of the week, the cover of the week uh, this week is just because... <laughs> We we love this comic so so much. We can't tell if we're looking at it with rose-colored glasses. We have to be impartial. And we've already given Batman White Knight co- covers of the week at least one of them, if not two. Oh yeah, last year I think. Uh, so really cool cover. Really love the cover. 
it's even got the you know 89 batman batmobile on the front it's so cool it's my favorite (laughs) but uh yeah look out for that if you're not reading batman white knight is it is to me the best thing coming out of dc right now and you need to be reading this book easily and it it won our book of the year last year so yeah our overall one and then mr miracle obviously and maestros for our personal preferences oh yeah so yeah look out for that book that book's great uh please buy this book Next up, we have Black Lightning, Cold Dead Hands, number five. We have Bombshells, United, number 13. We have Deathstroke, number 29. If you look at this variant, we have like this sexy booty short pose, (laughs) Deathstroke in the variant. I'll post it here on our YouTube channel so you can all see it if you're watching the video. It's it's so, like, silly. (laughs) Guys, did we give Deathstroke a Black Widow pose? Is that what this is? Cause this I think that, I think that's what it is. I, I think uh, we're, we're seeing way more butt <laughs> of Deathstroke <laughs> than I think anyone ever asked for. It's just the way his legs are crossed. <laughs> right. It's like I, I don't think there's ever been He's, a pose. I don't think Deathstroke has ever been more fabulous. <laughs> just want to point that out. <laughs> oh, God. What a variant. Next up, <laughs> we have Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles, number three. We have Green Arrow, number 38. We have Green Lanterns, number 42. We have Harley Quinn, number 39, with a very, very well done uh, penguin variant, which would be my girlfriend's uh, variant of the week. <laughs> Shout out to my girlfriend and her love of penguins. But not the penguin. (laughs) Next up, we have Harley and Ivy meet Betty and Veronica with a pretty cool cover. Uh, Number six. Don't know about the premise, but the cover is cool. We have Injustice 2, number 21. We have Justice League, number 40. We have Nightwing, number 40, with Nightwing getting his ass kicked yet again. Because we love beating the shit out of Nightwing on the covers. Even the variant. Uh, we have Superman, number 42. We have The Jetsons, number five. We have, big release, The Wild Storm. Aw, shit, boy. Number 12, because Grifter's fucking the shit, and you need to read this book. Uh, if you can, score yourself the Jim Lee cover. Next up, from Dynamite Entertainment, we have Deja Thoris, number two. Boobs. (laughs) We have Green Hornet, number one. Looks like Green Hornet's back and is apparently a woman. Is that what's going on? sensing a pattern Uh, in comics today. I think that's a female Green Hornet. Okay. Yep. Uh, We have... People read it now, right? (laughs) The Librarians, number four. We have... So many variant covers. It's so hard to sort through this company. We have The Shadow Cross Batman, number six. And that wraps up Dynamite. From Image Comics, we have East of West, number 36. We have Elsewhere, number five. We have Extremity, number 12. We have Gideon Falls, number one. We have I Hate Fairyland, number 17. We have Oblivion Song, number one. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the new Robert Kirkman book. Writer of The Walking Dead. So you might want to check that out. 
Oh yeah. Um, next up we have Prism Stalker number one. We have Savage Dragon number two thirty two. We have Scales and Scoundrels number seven. We have Spread number twenty five. We have The Fix number eleven. We have The Grave Diggers Union number five. We have The Walking Dead number one seventy seven. With a pretty cool Shankowitz variant cover. Uh, we have The Wicked and the Divine, number 34. And that wraps up Image. From IDW, we have Assassinistas, number 3. We have Atomic Robo, The Spectre of Tomorrow, number 5. We have Frankenstein, Alive, Alive, number 4. Maybe I should read it. Alive! Alive! I thought you were going to say maybe you should read it Frankenstein, but, you know. Frank you. (laughs) (laughs) Next we have Gem and the Holograms, Dimensions, number four. We have Scarlet Strike Force, number three. We have Star Trek Boldly Go, number 17. We have Star Wars Adventures, number seven. We have The Highest House, number 11. Oh, excuse me. The Highest House, number one. Getting way ahead of myself. We have The October Faction, Supernatural Dreams, number one. We have The Spider King, number one. And that wraps up IDW. Pretty good week for IDW. A lot of new releases. Um, From Boom, we have Adventure Time, number 74. We have Dodge City, number one. We have Giant Days, number 36. We have Mech Cadet U, number seven. And that wraps up Boom. From Dark Horse Comics, we have Inca Negro Renaissance, number two. Just so you know, that's a pretty cool comic we reread and probably continue reading. Where yeah. You have this kind of murder mystery set up in the world in the 1920s. Um, and the, the main character is a guy who's uh, a black man who writes for the local black paper in Harlem. But he looks very light-skinned and so if he wears a hat he can kind of pass for a white person and nobody really notices either way and so he can kind of hear the secrets of both groups that they keep away from each other you know whereas white people lean in and say racist things to him and then the black people lean in and say you know terrible things about the white people and blah 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 um so it's it's, so he's going to kind of use that to his advantage it seems like to solve this kind of murder mystery and also avoid being blamed himself so it's pretty cool and it helps that he's a reporter. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, next, we have Kosechi, The Deathless, number three. We have Rasputin, Voice of the Dragon. And that wraps up Dark Horse from Titan Books. We have As- Assassin's Creed Origins, number one. We have Doctor Who, New <laughs> Adventures with the Tenth Doctor, year three, number 14. <sighs> Because we can't get past the fact that we don't like the current doctor. We have Fighting American, The Ties That Bind, number one. We have Wolfenstein, number one. And that wraps up Titan Books. see here. And from Vertigo, we have Shade, The Changing Woman, number one. And that is everything coming to your local comic book shops. Please support your local comic book shops. And digital devices this week.
Now it's time to hand out the prestigious, nay, life-changing award of cover and variant cover of the week. Ooh. With my Frankenstein impression. <laughs> you flip the switch. Now bring again. It to life. Now again, we very much wanted to give it to uh, Batman White Knight. We wanted to so bad. But we restrained ourselves yep. and gave it to another very, very deserving cover from the great Alex Ross. We have Marvel's The Amazing Spider-Man number 797 with its dumb numbering. <laughs> but we have a very typical Alex Ross rendition of uh, the Green Goblin here smashing through <laughs> the Spidey signal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a it's a really cool kind of action shot where he's on the glider. Um, I I always love the kind of Alex Ross style. If you're familiar with Alex Ross, he really made a big name for himself uh, doing a really cool rendition of all the DC characters. Yeah, um, Kingdom Come, Kingdom Come. Thank yeah. you. Uh, but yeah, that's a great story, great book, and just great artwork all around. It has a it, it kind of takes like the corny aspect of like the 1950s designs and like capitalizes on it and yeah. kind of just goes full in on it and it's oh, really yeah. really cool I, I think he is probably the best uh example of an artist like completely owning mm-hmm. what's come before yeah i mean i mean like, he's got those famous works where obviously he had the justice league on the front and then there's the one where the joker's dancing with harley quinn and you know yeah. a lot of just really famous artwork you recognize him immediately you may oh, not yeah. know who his name if you're not like the biggest comic book fan but you know that it's the same guy that did kingdom come immediately alex ross's work was so beloved that when they went to do promotional stuff for the Justice League movie, mm-hmm. all of their posters went damn near full Alex Ross. Yeah. And he's a great artist. He makes great renditions. He's got a really amazing style um, and really love it. Um, and this this cover from uh, Marvel, once again, is just... It exemplifies that to a T. It's very detailed. You know, even his leggings are scaled, and the wrinkles, and the the whole dimension of the action shot, and the shattering glass everywhere. It's just really cool. Even the way the light bounces off the bottom of his chin, and you know, his yeah. clothing. There's just so much attention to detail, and I really love it. And I would love to see like an example of how he does everything, like from start to finish. You know? Oh yeah. If he would just put on like a. I mean, maybe he's got a YouTube channel or something. I don't know. Yeah, but it'd be really cool to see what his process is. Yeah, like the way that he handles lighting, I think is probably the the most impressive thing that I've seen out of his artwork. Yeah, because so. it's always so striking. It's always so. Uh, it it's like it's telling a story without having to really do much. Yeah, it's like just a simple picture of Superman, just kind of looking a little down a little bit or a, a yeah. picture of Shazam looking a bit like cocksure mm-hmm. as it were. It's like you could tell everything that you needed to know yeah. just from that one image. Yeah. So big congratulations to Alex Ross. You are our regular comic cover of the week and it looks like it's the start of a brand new storyline. So we'll oh, be, yeah. you might see on uh, Did the Content Match the Drapes next week. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to check it out. Really, really awesome cover by a really really legendary artist um so look forward to that next week next up the award for variant comic of the week goes to dc's 
The Wild Storm, number 12 variant cover by none other than another comic book legend, Jim Lee. <gasps> and this one, all right, you might, if you're a, a fan of ours and you've been around for a hot second, you might uh, say, I see what you're doing, Chris. <laughs> you're creaming in your pants because not only is it Grifter, but it's Grifter in the rain, and you're a sucker for all rain cover comics, and you're a sucker <laughs> for Grifter. I see you. I see right through you. You're transparent. And I say, no, friend. I verified with Emery, <laughs> and I made sure that I wasn't uh, being completely biased. Y- yeah. Yeah. Th- and that was before we knew it was Jim Lee. Yeah. We just knew it was great, and yeah. then we saw and confirmed what? its greatness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. When it comes to variant covers this week, nothing really came that close. I mean, there were some other good ones, but... This one this, was just this, so good. This was Jim Lee doing Grifter in the Rain. Yeah. Oh, my God. And <laughs> we were talking about Alex's uh, Alex Ross's ability to manipulate light and really use it to great effect. Oh, this yeah. cover is one of those, those few covers from Jim Lee that really uses light to great effect. If you look at it closely, he... Grifter, if you don't know, he's this really awesome kind of underserved character in the DC universe that came from the Wildstorm books that DC bought up. Yeah, um, and he t- typically has this kind of bandana with the white eyes, and that's pretty much his disguise. You know, and he'll wear a hood over it or something else. You know, usually um, doesn't really take him much. Usually, the way he's drawn is just kind of flat-faced with the cool eyes. It kind of looks like if Spawn was like a rag doll. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but Jim Lee has used light to perfect effect in this in this cover art uh, where he has outlined the dimensions of his face just using the light, how the light is hitting his face. So you can see where the sides of his head actually curve in. And that's so high level. That's such a professional thing to do where he's even got the full anatomy of his face in the bandana just based on the shading of the face on each side of his face and then you can see where his face is more prognathic where his you know his nose sticks out and yeah. defines his lower jaw just based on where the light is hitting his nose and curves up like this as it would naturally yeah and that's something only a very very um astute artist would notice and use to affect and i think it's fucking awesome it's such a great cover and then you add the aesthetic of the rain and everything which is always kind of difficult to accomplish you know in a way that's convincing and good looking and i think he does it in this book i mean even the small details like the wisp of blonde hair at the top of his hood you know yeah just shows (laughs) shows you exactly what grifter is you know and it just it looks so menacing and cool and i just I love everything about it, and I'm already a sucker for Wildstorm books. You know, unfortunately, they they keep getting delayed, but right. man, that yeah. is such a great cover, and I can't say enough about it from the master Jim Lee himself. Yeah, J- Jim Lee, you can tell he uh, he he has a special love for being able to draw characters like this. There's there's something about it where it just has that. Uh, there's this thing that happened in the 90s where we tried to make all of our heroes brooding and dark and mysterious up to a certain point. Late uh, 90s, yeah. Yeah, late 90s. Um, this character encapsulates everything that was cool about trying to do that. 
is like it kind of makes me think of like what if the the red hood uh had a better look <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so unfortunately i'm just reminding everybody um this is this one got delayed two weeks, so it is released uh, on this Wednesday. It was supposed to be released two weeks ago, and from here on out, um, Warren Ellis has announced that the book is going to be released every other month, kind of like uh, Mister Miracle, I think, was announced that it was going to be releasing every other month because of delays. Really yeah. sucks, but it's such a it's a good book, and I hope it doesn't die off because of these delays, like a lot of comic books do. Right. Um, but yeah, disappointing news that it is getting delayed. So number thirteen won't be for a little while. But th- this issue looks really awesome, especially this variant. So oh, yeah, uh, really enjoy it. Again, big congrats to Jim Lee for winning the variant cover of the week for Wildstorm number twelve, and big congrats to Alex Ross, another legendary artist, for winning the regular cover of the week with the Amazing Spider-Man number seven ninety seven. Both of whom. We recognized and loved before we even realized who the artist actually was. So, yeah, it took us uh, a minute, but uh, once we found out, it was like, oh yeah, so, greatness well, confirmed. Alex Ross, I was, I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure it's Alex Ross. Oh, Jim yeah. Lee, that that one surprised me. I didn't expect Jim Lee to be the artist on that one. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, so big shout out to those guys. Be sure to check out did the content match the drapes next week to see uh those covers and any other covers we've done in the past that we need to catch up on. I'm looking at you, Aquaman. <laughs> got a lot from Aquaman. Their covers are just so good and their artwork's so good, but we... <laughs> we, we just got to catch up. We just got to catch up, yeah, because they're at the end of that story arc there. And now for our new friends out there, this is the part of the show where we each discuss a topic of our choosing about the world of comic books. Emery, what's your topic? Well, as I'm pretty sure anyone who's been following Marvel... Uh, as far as our comics line goes, uh, you've probably seen on YouTube a video describing, or loosely describing, uh, their need for what they're calling a fresh start. Yeah, and there's there they had a kind of goofy <laughs> promo video. Yeah, uh, they that, did. That was a little pathetic, but um, <laughs> they're basically restarting the lines and the continuity. Not maybe not restarting, but at least returning to more traditional means right uh in april i believe yeah uh which is something to be fair they need to do yes they do and in some ways so does dc but we're we're looking at marvel right now yes (laughs) yeah uh so what i want to talk about is uh maybe some predictions uh maybe some hopes some ideas as to what would work, uh, what what would be best in a uh, fresh start approach to this. Well, let's try to make like a list of like together the top five things that we really want to see. Yeah, um, you're the Marvel guy, so what? Well, give me at least one thing that you really, really hope you see from this new kind of relaunch. First thing that I want more than anything else from all of Marvel is to stop making characters who are taking over mantles. This is something we talk about constantly on the show. That's Um, true. Not not because we want to, but because it's so prevalent in comics at this point in time. Yeah. Um, It's always happened a little bit, but never like 
to the point that it's happened for the past, I'd say, five years. Yeah, um, like it it had become it it had become the thing to do. Yeah, for Marvel, and there's there's a reason. It's it's not just because they want to do it. Uh, they're not really seeing any profitability changes when doing it. In fact, their profits have decreased since they've started doing these. Yeah, probably for good reason. But it's because they grab headlines when they do one of these changes where they say, oh, Falcon is taking over as Captain America now. Or now instead of traditional Thor, we're going to have Lady Thor. Or instead of having, you know, Tony Stark, Iron Man, we're going to have Iron Heart, who's a black woman who, you know, just happened to steal his technology and be great at using it and designing it. Like, you know, for reasons. Um, but it's just it's explicitly and DC's guilty of this, too. Uh, it's expressly just to get headlines because that gets the hype up, that gets the Twitter machine going and the, you know, for lack of a better term, the SJWs, the social justice (laughs) warriors going and celebrating and then attacking anybody who's like, yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. Why are you, you know, (laughs) it's usually the people that aren't actually reading the books that are usually the ones who hype it up the most, which is kind of counterproductive to me because, yes, it gives you a bunch of free press, but it's to the people who aren't really reading the books in the first place. Right. Um, And the thing that should be uh, making headlines as far as, you know, selling a book is how good the book is. Yeah. And like not, not the changes in like pre-established character archetypes yeah. that we've decided to make. Yeah. And there's the big thing that bothers me is like it, I want to see more diverse characters. Uh yeah. racially, sexually, uh orientation-wise, religiously. And there's been good examples of that. I think Simon Baz, yes, he's inheriting an already existing mantle. And yes, there's way too many Green Lanterns uh, for that one sector. But well, for Green Lanterns, it's, it's a police different. It's a police force, so anybody can wear it at the same time. And you're not destroying the previous ones in order to replace them with Simon Baz, who is a Muslim guy from Detroit. Right. He's um, literally just another guy who's been added to the ranks. Exactly. Yeah. And, I think that was done very well. They gave him good depth in the new 52 issues. Uh, I don't know how he is right now with uh, uh, what's Jessica Cruz, who's the other Green Lantern, who's, again, more diverse addition. Although Uh, I think. Also from Earth. Although I think technically she's from the parallel universe, but whatever. (laughs) Because convergence and stuff. We're going to let that go. Uh, (laughs) Forever Evil, I think, is where she came from. Um, But. I think that was done really well, even though it wasn't a brand new character like we prefer. We prefer to see brand new characters, or at least characters that are underappreciated, like Static Shock, or Black Lightning is finally getting his little moment in the sunshine, you know, with his brand new TV show. Yeah. Although I think you should just be called Lightning, but that's just me. Uh, Yeah. But that's what I want to see more of. What I hate is where they take a character that already exists, that people already come to your comics for, you know, whether it's captain america or iron man or the hulk or whatever the case is people are buying your books because they love these characters and have continued to love these characters you know for years and years and years and years and like okay you want to kill a guy off for a second like wolverine he's been gone for a hot second but then they were kind of like oh people don't like this so maybe we should do something and oh here's woman wolverine in x23 you're happy right no well, that didn't grab enough headlines. Okay, well, how about old Wolverine? <laughs> we'll just throw him into this continuity. Like, uh, yeah, and guess what? Young Wolverine 
Logan, no. a.k.a. James Howlett, a.k.a. Patch, a.k.a. a.k.a. <laughs> Sweet Baby Jesus, <laughs> is coming back from the dead because we can. Good. <laughs> but uh, that's what bothers me, is you're stepping on your own feet when you do this to your characters, when you replace them completely with diversified versions that have no character depth and no like real struggle whatsoever. You yeah. Know? Uh, these characters are established and beloved for a reason, and it's not because of the color of their skin or the fact that they have male genitalia or female genitalia, whatever. You yeah. Know? I don't care. That's not the point. The point is that these are long-established characters that people love, you know, for good reason. And when you take away those characters, not for just, like, a a few issues, but for, like, years, several years, um, you really kind of destroy what people love about your books, you know, for the sake of grabbing some headlines for a few months until everybody forgets and doesn't care again. Yeah, the the thing that kills me about that is that the message that's being sent is that... You care about the name. You care about the title. Yeah. And care about the you, costume. And that you don't care about the one thing that everyone should actually be coming to the book for, which is the person underneath the mask. Yeah. The writing, the character, the dialogue. These are the things that really matter. You know? Yeah. Um, not not <laughs> what color their skin is or you know, right. what cultural background they come from or what their preferences are. You know, I want to he- see a good story that makes sense. Yeah. I don't want to see a glorified, overpowered, you know, uh, understressed, <laughs> right. you know, diverse character that's just perfect at everything from the onset because, hey. Y- yeah. that <sighs> The problem with what they've been doing is they've been going way too hard into the uh, we realize this is a power fantasy yeah. and that uh, that's all we're, we're that we're going to do with this. We're not going to, you know, challenge the character. We're not going to make it so that the character loses sometimes. We're not no. going to give this character that we put into this mantle. Mm-hmm. A struggle that should be either on par or a struggle that should, if they're taking up a mantle, I honestly think there's the struggle of the new one should exceed. Their, their life should be harder Yeah, having to like, they're, live they're, up to this. It's like with uh, the, the battle for the cow and the DC Batman arc when Batman dies. Yeah. Um, all of the people are battling for the cow, you know, uh, you know, Azrael and Nightwing and Robin and, you know, Red Hood and, you know, uh, even Catwoman is kind of putting her voice in there. And Oracle, Barbara Gordon is putting her voice in the, the yeah. pot. And, you know, Huntress is in, in the mix, you know, like all of these people are struggling with who should inherit the cow. And, you know, um, obviously I have my preference. <laughs> um, but like it. I think that might the, be the one time DC listened to you. It, <laughs> it made it made things even more difficult because everybody had something where they're like, "Man, I just I'm not Bruce. I'm not Batman. Like I I'm good at my own things, but I'm just not Batman." And I keep trying to be Bruce. You know, Tim tries to be Batman, but he's undersized and he's not as capable a fighter as Batman was. 
And so he keeps getting his ass kicked trying to wear the cowl. And he's the only one willing to like step up to the <laughs> the the plate and not murder people. You know, <laughs> Nightwing doesn't want any part of it. You know, Red Hood and Azrael want to murder everybody. <laughs> Huntress wants to murder everybody. You know, and Tim Tim's the only one that steps up to the mantle and tries to but he, like actually be like classic yeah. Batman. And he's and brilliant, he's just, and he's the best detective. But he just can't, he just doesn't have the fighting skills and the physique. Right. that Bruce Wayne has. Yeah, uh, it's like the, it would have been interesting had they like decided to commit to him doing it because yeah. for him to make sense, they would have had to lean real hard into like the ninja aspect. <laughs> but I mean like uh, then, you know, when Nightwing finally does cave in to try to stop Azrael and uh, Jason Todd from fucking murdering everybody and destroying <laughs> the name of Batman. Yeah. Because, you know, people don't know it was Bruce. You know, they just see Batman fucking murdering people on the street. Yeah. You know? Uh, which is another character struggle, you know, Jason Todd trying to live up to Bruce, but do it in his own way. That's just kind of convoluted and terrible. <laughs> uh, and Azrael just wants to enforce the will of, you know, God and <laughs> fucking break people. To um, the order of Saint Dumas, yeah. it has been declared that as Batman, I'm going to be killing every criminal. Yeah. Wait, and, what? And then, and then <laughs> Nightwing begrudgingly, because he struggles with it from his own personal character standpoint, because his whole character arc is about breaking away from Batman and becoming his own hero and his own adult, free of Batman's money and influence and Bruce Wayne's oversight and being just as capable, if not more capable in some ways, than Bruce himself and yeah. being a team leader and being you know more open to people and emotionally open where Batman's very closed off and secluded and suspicious of everybody and alienates everybody. And like he, he struggles with this because he doesn't want to carry that burden. He doesn't want to carry that mantle and that burden, but he sees Gotham falling apart and nobody respects him or any of the other side characters as their mantles because they don't dominate that city. Batman does. Right. You know? And he finally he accepts, you know, I got to do this. And he saves Tim's ass from Jason, <laughs> like <laughs> fights off Jason and, you know, finally accepts his role and struggles in the mantle. And then even after the Battle of the Cow, he still struggles because he's not Bruce and he's not as brilliant as Bruce or Tim. Um, right. But he's he's also more charismatic and he's he's more open. So he's able to establish these kind of cool connections with the villains where like they don't see him not just just as this menacing, you know, fucking brute that's going to beat the shit out of them and lock them <laughs> up again. Dick Dick's version actually tries to help them. And you know, some characters like the Joker takes advantage of that and he has to struggle through that, like learning that okay, some of these villains I just can't work with, you know. Oh, yeah. But then others he's actually successful and it gives him like a really good reward point. And even with Damien, when Damien comes in with Batman and Son, you know, he's Dealing with probably the worst, most murderous, terrible Robin <laughs> to date. Worse than Jason Todd, you know? Which and, is saying a lot. And if it was Bruce, there's, n I don't think Bruce would have been successful. I think it's just because Dick Grayson is so understanding and so open that he was able to break through with Damien and actually to an extent control him you know yeah. and i think that was really cool and it was a really tough struggle for his character to deal with 
not only this memory of his adoptive father who had raised him and trained him and he had inherited the mantle, but now also being in charge of the biological child of said mentor, you know, who is a murderous assassin, you know, and it just added a lot of depth and struggle to his character. And that, yeah, that if you're going to inherit a mantle, I think that's how it should be done. Right. But what's been currently going on with both DC and Marvel is they're inheriting these mantles and just like for no real good reason, it's just like, hey, I stole your technology, or hey, I repeated your experiment, or hey, I found a shield. <laughs> <laughs> Peggy, I'm looking at you. Um, oh. But yeah, there's just all these different <laughs> versions for no real good reason. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not a good story. It's not good writing. It's just happening for the sake of happening. And that's, that's where you have issues. And it doesn't, you know. Again, we we love diversity. We've been applauding the new era of DC heroes for at least attempting, even if some of it's kind of like Marvel character ripoff. <laughs> yeah, but um, but th- at it, least they're trying. They're, they're trying to do something new, and that's what without ripping off a mantle. Yeah, that is the direction that Marvel needs to go in. Um, this is the the type of thing that is going to set the stage for everything that they do in the future yeah um like are we going to take this fresh start and go even more insular and hunker down yeah on these characters that yes we know how to write them yes you've seen them before a thousand times and these mm-hmm. stories are getting kind of cyclical um but we're just going to focus on these characters again the ones that you know yeah, we're gonna bring back the ones that you know, and we're we're just going to cash in and just stay the course as best as we can, or write the course of the ship. Yeah, that and I, th- nearly, I think yeah, I think to a small extent, and we'll talk about this in my topic. I think a small extent of what has proliferated the problem is cowardice. Yeah, and I I mean that like creative cowardice. And again, I'll talk about this more in our in my topic because I have direct quotes from ed- head editors at Marvel that confirm this but yeah i think they're just once they realize that there's not a whole lot of depth to these characters and they the head the you know fun of the headlines and the press and the twitter sphere kind of fade away yeah i think they realize that in some ca- not all cases there's some good ones that d- did okay um but i think in most cases i think they're just scared to go back to the originals because i think they fear that the amount of praise they got for changing the mantles in the first place, it will be equally harsh when they return the original characters that people actually love. And these people that I think largely are not comic readers themselves that are going to raise hell and ruin their reputation. And, you know, their stock's going to fall because the Twitter hashtag, you know, (laughs) is trending, you know, not my comic heroes, blah, 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 something like that, you know, that's right. that's the shit that keeps happening, and I I I think there's a little bit of cowardice going on, a little bit of professional cowardice in the industry across the board to avoid controversy. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think is really killing Marvel is that uh, say what you want about these 
very clear, obvious rips that uh, DC's been doing. <laughs> it it took balls for them to be so bold as to do something like this and blatant. <laughs> yeah, b- so blatant, but it's like it's different enough. But it's refreshing, you know, because yeah. it's, it's, it's like not, oh, yeah. it's what I've been wanting from Marvel, but not getting from Marvel. Right. Um, and yeah. DC's like, oh, they're not doing it, so we'll do it. Yeah. So, meanwhile, they're regular characters. <laughs> there's some there's some rough ones out there right now. Uh, yeah. Brave <laughs> and bold, I'm looking at you. Oh, my God. So cringeworthy. <sighs> um, so, I think we, we touched on that first one pretty good. What's another yeah. one? Um, another thing that I want to see out of Marvel is taking a break from events. <laughs> I think this can be said about all the major comic companies but yeah true Mar- marvel yeah. is definitely one of them yeah marvel if i'm not mistaken they had an event called monsters unleashed that i think started like a year and a half ago yeah and it became and its own book and is y- still going yeah, yeah. It was like i oh i i never asked for that <laughs> i don't know who's buying it but they've committed to it, apparently. But, I mean, they've had this kind of Hydra Captain America thing, which is, was that Secret Wars, or was Secret Wars before that? Uh, Secret Wars was before that. Secret and, Wars and was then, actually the thing that melded the worlds together. So they had Secret Wars, which was not great, and then that led into the, what was that event called with the Captain America one? Uh, had a specific name. That one was... Uh, I know the word. Secret. See how great that event was. Yeah, we remember it so well. It was like Secret War. Was it Secret Warrior? Uh, I'm gonna look it up. I don't know, but um, it. I agree. The, these events they're just so convoluted, and it's you got to realize these books for the most part release one issue a month, if that, because of delays. So you you keep inserting these big broad events, probably like every three to four issues, which is outrageous even if it's one event a year that's like four or five issues worth of event so that's four or five issues four or five empire secret empire thank you yeah so you have four five six issues which equals four five six months out of the year that you're dealing with another convoluted event that doesn't make sense (laughs) (laughs) and is just serving a purpose you know to do a certain thing more often than not. Um, Grab headlines. Yeah. And I, it's really frustrating for me as a comic fan because sometimes I just want to read a character-focused story that's not big and broad and expanding and includes hundreds of different characters doing every little mundane little thing and several spinoffs that I don't understand because I don't want to read the stupid event comic. Right. Um, and I think... Civil it, War Two. I'm looking at you. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's another issue with it where uh, you kind of water down everybody across the board. Every character in your pantheon just gets watered down for these events. And, you know, they might get four or five issues that aren't related to the event a year (laughs) because of how frequently these events are going on. And it, it began, I think, with Flashpoint. I think from Flashpoint on, both Marvel and DC just got event crazy because they saw the boost in sales and were like oh fuck just yeah, like this they, is what we need apparently yeah, just like they did with the monthly variants for dc you know they started with the steampunk and it sold really well and they're like oh wow people like this a lot more than we thought and then they they tried the 3d variants for the villains and they're like oh wow this is doing really well let's do it every 
fucking month. <laughs> and so they just started printing all these terrible variants, and every month was a different theme, and like I'd say 75% of the th- those themes were shit. <laughs> and then there's a handful of good ones every year. Yeah. But it, they had to have lost money on doing that constantly, you know? It, it yeah. was all because of a split reaction of, of a big sales increase, you know, for one or two specific things. And I think the same thing happened with events. So I'm hoping, like you said, with this reboot, we get less events. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Third. The, uh, third thing that I want them to do. Um, th- there's something that has to be done about... Uh, we have a book... Like Doctor Strange Damnation coming out. Really good. Really good. Not connected to any of the movies coming out at all. This is a book that stands well enough on its own. Yeah. I think all of Marvel Comics needs to go this route. We Just we have more standalone stories. Yeah, yeah, we we need more standalone stories and more just more stories in general. Like if you're gonna do like the ongoing like things, let's go to the thing that you mentioned earlier and like change the numbering to where yeah. uh, we're focusing like in bigger print. We're focusing on uh, which number it is in this story arc, yeah. As opposed to like focusing on oh man, we've made seven hundred and ninety-seven different comics of this one fucking character. Yeah. No. No. And it's <laughs> it's so intimidating to new fans. That's what's the most right. frustrating. Because I want to get more people in. I want more people in the community so we can support our local com- sh- bookshops or comiXology if, so, if you right. so choose. Either way, you're supporting these creators and these writers and you're preventing this great art medium from dying out. But yeah. we keep making it more and more intimidating for new fans with all these constant events and this huge numbering that doesn't make any sense and no clear outline of where events and tie-in books start and end. So there's no real chronological order unless they program it into comicsology, which they don't always do. Yeah. So it's really frustrating. Yeah, um, I think the we need to or Marvel needs to take a serious, long, hard look at how they've been numbering these and realize that in order for more people to want to get into comics, we need to make it so that they don't feel as though they have to read close to a thousand fucking back issues. Yeah, that's outrageous. Uh, I'm, DC did it too. DC changed it with New 52, and I thought it was one of the best things they did in New 52 is they changed the numbering. Yeah. That was great, and they focused the storylines, and then when they had a new writer or artist or whatever team come in, not always, but more often than not, they would just change the numbering, say, this is issue one of Batman version blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah. now we have the Dark Knight Batman and now we have New 52 uh, regular Batman and blah, 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 blah. Uh, it all worked out pretty well and I liked it a lot. And then when they did this new reactionary reboot with Convergence where they just went, oh, they want all the old versions back. Uh, let's just put them all together and smush them in there and we'll bring back the original numbering because that's what you want. 
Now we're going to have Action Comics number 1,100. No. It's just so alienating to new fans. And it, it really, as, yeah. as a fan myself, you know, lifelong fan, it just it frustrates me. Because, you know, how am I going to go down the street and, you know, recommend a, a mainline book to anybody? You know, right. I have to recommend stuff like Batman White Knight because it's traceable. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can't recommend Batman number 623, you know, or Detective Comics number 897, whatever the case may be. Batman White Knight actually brings me to number four of what I want Marvel to do. Mm-hmm. Elseworlds. Yeah. The, Instead of like putting them all together, maybe just do Elseworlds the, type m- books. Marvel has one really good example Multiverse of Multiverse for DC. Yeah. yeah. Marvel has one really good example right now, and that is Spider-Man Renew Your Vows. <laughs> yeah. Really good premise. Yeah. Uh, it's a premise that works so well that they still have books coming out for it. Yeah. Uh, much the same way that Fucking Batman White Knight. Really good premise. The story inside's even better. Yeah. As like Mr. Miracle. This is an example of someone having a really cool story in mind. Mm -hmm. And And being allowed to tell it. Being allowed to tell it without feeling tethered to an overly convoluted timeline. 100%. Totally agree. Yeah. Marvel needs more of that. Mm-hmm. And last, but definitely not least, Marvel needs to do one more thing. And one more thing only. You have all of our ears. Marvel needs to go through... Every single fucking author they've got. And they need to establish an editor. An editor... Who who actually edits. Yeah, who actually edits. (laughs) Who actually takes that story that they've written, reads it, and goes back and says, Dude, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Dude... we already have a canon. Is like, is this Elseworlds? It's not. Then why mm. the fuck aren't they? What? Yeah. What are you doing? I think there's this fear in all creative communities where people that are overseers or managers, you know, editors, what have you, producers, where they don't, unless they're WB, <laughs> they don't want to step on the toes of their writers and artists and creators too much. They don't want to be inserting their nose in every little thing. But here's the deal. If you're living in a paycheck-to-paycheck system where you're writing these books the month or two months before they're supposed to release, which is, again, a terrible business model, needs to be changed. Yeah, You need to make these way ahead of time. Um, but if you don't change the business model and you're not willing to stick your nose in and see that they are getting these things fucking done on time, yeah, you're running into problems. I think DC's experiencing a lot of that. On the other hand... Uh, if you're not willing and you don't have enough backbone to read a finished story or book and come to the creator and say, hey, you realize that this conflicts with the canon in this way or this this character shouldn't be here right now or blah, 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 and you don't establish these things uh, with the writer, and it, you, you don't have to stomp on their idea just to correct some things, you know? 
but yeah, it's just it's it's just cowardice, man. Like, I, I feel like you know. Again, we'll talk about this later, but it's you know you got to have the spine and the intestinal fortitude to go up to your creators. You know, even if you don't want to step on their feet, you got to address things that don't make sense. That don't make sense in the context, you know. Ask them questions. Be like, okay, you get, you need to sit down with me and tell me your whole map. You know, again, these problems could be solved by just changing the business model a little bit. Yeah, uh, maybe commissioning <laughs> more than one issue at a time. But you know, that's just me. <laughs> uh, no prepar- big deal. Preparing them way before release that would be nice. Uh, but yeah, I have a really good example of a comic book that really needed something like this. And it's Secret Empire. I'm shaking my head for audio listeners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Captain America being turned into Captain a Nazi. Only for, in a very, probably the most reactionary form of uh, comic book writing I've seen, We brought in Captain a Nazi, uh, made Captain America into Captain a Nazi, only for us to come up with an ultra convoluted way to bring in another Captain America. And then, at the end of all of that, have Nick Spencer tweet, "Oh yeah, the w- the plan was I was going to bring in another Captain America, but then make it so that that Captain America was the real Captain America." And that Hydra Cap was the fake Captain America. Plot twist. <laughs> no, you got scared and you said, oh, fuck, I got to fix this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, I'm pretty sure like the, the backlash reached the ears of the editors who probably aren't editing. And is like, yeah. oh, no, you, now you got to fix it. I mean, when you have Chris Evans... <laughs> <laughs> criticizing you on Twitter, you you probably I I don't blame him for being intimidated and perhaps <laughs> going back on his original plan. Yeah. <laughs> but the premise wasn't all that great to begin with, so Yeah, no. To each their own. But I think that's a perfect place to transition into my topic. Uh my topic is addressing a very specific article. Um I want to give the proper credit to here. Uh, from one of the news resources we use to gather all the different news here, Newsarama. Mm-hmm. And there is this article by a writer named Jim McLaughlin over at Newsarama. And the title is, Does Twitter Destroy Comics Creativity? Now, this is something we addressed maybe a few months ago. Uh, where I brought it up somehow in passing and talked about how, yes, there's, I suspect there's a lot of reactionary writing going on, and today has been a perfect <laughs> a day to bring it up because we've had so many topics to talk about oh, yeah. uh, related to this. But I, I've seen it both in DC and in Marvel where they keep having these kind of reactionary adjustments, and I think Convergence is the biggest example of that. Convergence, oh, yeah. Convergence was just a blatant... Uh, reactionary action on the part of DC where none of it made sense. None of it (laughs) logically clicked on any level. It was a really big and bloated event. And now we have all these different event characters and like the same versions of characters, but in different like contexts and timelines and stuff in the same 
area on the same earth it just doesn't work and then we killed off the ones that people were grumpy about in new 52 and i'm just like this is ridiculous this this <laughs> makes no sense this is completely reactionary and i i saw this article on last week's episode but obviously we lost the audio so i thought eh, why not let's bring it up again yeah um, because it was such a good discussion point um and tim mclaughlin writes uh about how the old adage uh that the you shouldn't read the comments on the internet and blah 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 and we've talked about this again and again there is a a concurrent effort you know uh for every type of affiliation and you know uh i guess belief group (laughs) um yeah where and even like trolls that just do it because they like working people up and watching the chaos ensue you know um he just wants to watch the world burn. <laughs> um, th- there's a lot of these people out there, and they they you know attack, and I mean like just fervently attack people, you know, relentlessly. And when you're when you're producing anything, I think you're more likely to notice negative things to begin with. But when it's kind of blown up even more because people who are criticizing are usually more likely to message you about something they don't like than something they do like you know we might be the exception because we intentionally make the effort to congratulate people and artists and writers that we really love you can check out our twitter at htb vids shameless plug yep um it's a kind of our shtick but um you know that's not to say that negativity isn't warranted from time to time sometimes there's just shit that you're just like man I th- I think he made might have made a bad choice here, like with Kickass, yeah, uh, the new one. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm going to attack them, uh, the creator, relentlessly. I'm not gonna uh, just go to Millar's, you know, <laughs> social media pages and attack him relentlessly. But some people do, and yeah. I I totally get the justification for writers and creators that have to deal with this sort of thing and try to gauge the atmosphere based on sales but we all know basically if you got a popular character regardless of whether the book is good or not it's gonna sell well uh if your book is like outstanding you might get on the charts but you're never gonna outcompete batman (laughs) like right as we always see every week when we read the new uh sales statistics batman dominates the top 10 every week even batman in the signal which is a dumb premise to begin with from a <laughs> spin-off event. It was like number two <laughs> on the sales list and it got delayed. It just goes <laughs> to show you how, how much power Batman brings to the table. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of power <clears throat> for one rich asshole in a bat onesie. As anybody who lives on the internet knows, it's really hard not to be on these things. Once you get into them, they just kind of suck you in and it's very convenient to be able to talk directly to your favorite creator or actor or writer or musician or whatever the case may be. Uh, your favorite internet personality. Hey, um, and, and it's very, we've never been more connected, uh, in the history of humanity. We really haven't. And we're still adjusting to it, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think that includes creators and how they handle criticism. Uh, When you have a Huffington Post article criticizing your work because of one thing, and then that creates a hashtag, and then (laughs) fucking 100 people in this country of 350 million start 
just constantly harassing you and your editor and your company about these small things. You're like, oh, shit, we got to change this. But in reality, it's a very small amount of people that are just very loud and very active on the Internet. Uh, I think that happens more often than we'd like to know. Yeah. Um, and that includes bots, which is also mentioned in the article. Because uh, some people just have <laughs> too much time on their hands. Um, got to create bots to harass people. <laughs> Um, I think Sticks wrote a song about that. But this great article uh, by Jim McLaughlin uh, brings up some quotes from some creators and editors themselves. Uh, I think the most obvious one uh, is from Joe Caseta, who admitted that this does happen. And this is the first that I've seen somebody admit to it. Usually they dance around it and, you know, say, well, I was thinking about this, but I went with this in the end and blah, blah, you know. Right. Uh, Never actually saying, you know, like I I was writing a book, then I was checking out what the response to it was on Twitter, and as a result, I decided to make some changes. And it's usually, it's usually it waters down the content. We've talked yeah. about this before. I. I wish the business model was you commission so many books uh, or so many issues. Uh, you tell the artists and the writer, get it done by such and such a date. We'll give you a three months, four months, whatever you need to only work on this one story. Do what you want with it. Make it as good as you want or have creators come to you and approach you and pitch you a story and be like, all right, we can commission you this for this. It will give you this flat rate, and then we'll give you a percentage of the sales up to a certain point, like movies and music and whatever else. And that way, what you get in the end is a finished product that you can you have a clear mapping of sales. You map it out issue by issue by issue, and you can still do the volume at the end. Like you don't have just because you have it all at once doesn't mean you have to instantly take it to volume and be like, well, that's gonna kill the comic books. No, it's not. Just break it apart. <laughs> intelligently like you would any other comic you know but yeah. now you have a clear coherent story that's told from beginning to end and isn't going to be influenced by a reactionary internet um right uh, I, it almost sounds as though like the idea that they have for commissioning like an entire like eight to twelve issue run would be something along the lines of but if we have it all then we're just going to print it all. Why wouldn't we just print it all and just have them buy it all immediately? It's like, oh, my God, this is comic books. This is not a Netflix TV series. Yeah. You, you can you can responsibly space things out yeah. and keep people interested. It's well, like it's been if, proven. If Netflix yeah. didn't ex exist, but their shows still existed, they would piece them out and release them week by week after they had already been created. Right. That is how they would handle it. And we're working with a medium that releases uh, books like this commonly once a month. Yeah. I'm pretty Which sure... Out an outrageous timetable to get this done. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a definitely a big issue. And I appreciate that Joe Caseta and several others in this article actually come forth and talk about it because i think that's the biggest problem nobody wants to talk about it because a it's embarrassing you feel like you you lose some of your integrity as a writer or whatever creator in general editor uh and you you, you might feel ashamed that you just didn't stick to your guns and have the intestinal fortitude to stick to it now <clears throat> i get it 
Uh, sometimes you create something, you had good intentions, you had a good idea, and you release it, and then somebody points out something. Like in Kick-Ass, we point out you're reinforcing really terrible racial stereotypes in this book. Um, <coughs> and then yeah. and, and in a nonsensical way. Like uh, it's that's something that I understand you want somebody to catch that early so you can fix it later. But I real early. But I would prefer that you just create your creation, have your editor look at it, and have the a good editor that's willing to tell you, "Hey, this is probably not going to work, or this is this is not good with the canon, or this is not consistent with the character, or whatever, whatever happens." You know, it's like, yeah, we'll give give them a broad brush to be creative, but you know, editors need to have a backbone just as much as the creators in this situation. Yeah. <clears throat> I would prefer that they just stick to their guns, stick to their original storyline, even if it does cause controversy. Um, I can give you one example. In uh, the Batgirl reboots, after Gail Simone left, they rebooted Batgirl to be this kind of like ditzy uh, college graduate school, I should say, which is totally inconsistent with (laughs) how the character behaves. But graduate school student that's ditzy and sleeps around and fights crime in the suburbs and for some reason lost her awesome million dollar costume that Batman gave to her and started wearing a leather jacket and leather pants with bright yellow everything. Uh, And then to kind of grab headlines and what I I would, I guess the creator and uh, DC wanted to do for a positive effect. They included a transgender character in their book. Okay, cool. Sounds legit. Here's the problem. <laughs> uh, Twitter did not like it. Why didn't Twitter like it? Because the transgender character was stereotypically trans. And well, that, was that it? And that the character was a drag queen who dressed up as a glittery bat girl uh, while being however you want to perceive it. Originally biologically male <laughs> is that safe enough but we'll let tra- the internet tra- decide transition to a woman to is be it? an evil bat girl and the second issue was that it was a villain <gasps> because characters can't have more depth than being a a perfect protagonist <laughs> that is the only way we can accept diverse characters um and so there is a big backlash from your typical sources, Huffington Post like yeah. people, uh, and then not that Huffington Post itself is bad, but the opinion pieces on Huffington Post, <laughs> which yeah. are usually written by kind of outsiders, uh, kind of predictable, kind of predictable, yeah, and uh, serve a very obvious aesthetic. And then the Twitter sphere got a hashtag going and like fucking ripped them to shreds, and they. DC totally folded. They <laughs> a apologized for creating a transgender villain, <laughs> and then, and then they just completely wrote the character off and made it, made it like the character was never there in the in the comic book. And I was like, you should have just stuck to your guns, even if it was as blatantly bad as it as people defined it as being. And I don't think it was that bad. I think it was just kind of goofy and silly. Like that entire book was big, dumb, goofy and silly, and in my opinion, not very enjoyable. But 
to each their own. If that's what yeah. the creator's vision was, and that's what the creator wanted to stick their neck out for, let it stand as by itself, you know? And I wish that instead of just folding completely and apologizing and all this stuff, they just let it stand, because at the very least, it'll stand as a time capsule creatively, much like the 80s comics, the 90s comics, the 70s comics, the 50s comics. You can think of any era of comic books up until about the late 20, 2000s, early 2010s, and you can picture a very distinct characterization of characters uh very distinct universes uh very distinct um uh i would say censorship or lack of censorship depending on the era Uh, and it's very it's it it clicks with the time specifically and then you can read about the stuff that wasn't received well and the stuff that was received well like the in the 70s we took you know uh, wonder woman and made her into an international spy because that was the hot thing in the seventies, and it took it had a terrible reception. You oh know? yeah, and they put Wonder Woman in this tight bodysuit and whatever, and you know it was it had a terrible reception, and that's that's fine. Let it stand by itself, you know. Yeah. If you if you try and you fail, so what? At least you tried and you let it stand by itself. But when you when you have these reactionary behaviors, y- the final product gets watered down to an extreme extent to the point where it's not even the creator feels bad about it because they feel like it's the quality of product they wanted to put out because they had to make a bunch of last-minute adjustments. And then the the reader feels shitty because they're reading this inferior quality comic book, you know, that's just watered down and dry. And like we talked about with Nightwing, The New Order, where you feel like they totally turn toe at the very end. Oh, yeah, that's a really good example where uh, you can see... It's almost like you're watching the reaction happen mid-comic book. Yeah, and they took a very ballsy... Kyle Higgins, he took a very ballsy approach with a very ballsy concept uh, and wrote a a pretty good story yeah through it and then as you described it at like halfway through the final issue they just like uh, we're gonna turn heel and make a fairy tale ending <laughs> you know oh yeah that, I, I can't think of a book that did like a harder heel turn towards the end of it in recent history because that it's like taking a concept like making uh, a batman sidekick into a future fascist and uh, having committed to that as the story for five out of five and a half mm-hmm. out of six issues, only for you to do like a oh, his son says this one thing that totally changes his mind miraculously, yeah, and then it's like he starts working together and they all save the day, and like all like they they, they do the thing. The stereotypical. The stereotypical. Oh, I see the light now. Okay. Uh, uh, Oh. We fixed everything. If only you had told me that sooner. How wrong I was. (laughs) Let's go back and fix everything, because nothing that I did was irreparable at all. Yeah. So uh, um, there's plenty of examples out there, DC and Marvel specifically, but there's examples in other comic book continuities. Yeah. I, I can look at you, Valiant. You're also <laughs> included in this. Um, but here are some of the quotes. Uh, the first one's from Joe Caseta. Again, uh, this is from the Jim McLaughlin article where he kind of compiles everything and discusses it. And a really good article from Newsarama. Joe Qu- Quesada, uh, cr- chief creative officer at Marvel Comics, says in a December 21st, 2017 tweet, 
He's seen cases where creators change storylines midway because of a perceived online fan revolt, end quote. Quesada went on to say the effect is indeed a poor one. Quote, the inevitable changes made things worse and the stories weaker, he continued in a tweet. Quesada declined to cite a specific example. I won't give you, for instance, because that's... I won't give you a for instance, for example, uh, because that's calling out a creator. And that's not fair, Quesada tells Newsarama. But I will tell you, I've seen it more than once, and it never works out well. When a creator changes something because of what they perceive as a certain outcry, it's completely artificial. It will fail. So that's just a first-hand account from a chief creative officer over at Marvel of something we've been suspecting and talking about for at least a year. And I've suspected it since the end of the new 52 really for dc marvel i haven't kept up quite as much with but based on what you always tell me oh I yeah feel like yeah I, i'm pretty sure this has started with um like right before secret wars mm-hmm. which probably is what heralded the whole you know we, we want to make one single line of comics as opposed to committing to two yeah and consistently having one outsell the other yeah caseta continues the only thing i can do is have conversations like this and have them publicly my advice to creators is the same as it's always been do not publish in fear you cannot do that once you start to publish in fear you are stifled creators and publishers have to follow their hearts and i i would personally add tell the story that they meant to tell from the beginning that's right um that should be the goal i think uh, another example can be found, uh, Mark Wade, who wrote Champions for Marvel, uh, he observed his own drift. Quote, I started writing a book about teenage activists, Wade says. By issue number nine, I was no longer writing a book about teenage activists. Um, the drift was pretty conscious after a while. Every time we went out there and tried to say something really important about how kids are doing in the world today, online brought the thunder. Wade says, I got gun shy about social issues because the hammer came down every single time. So, again, it, I guarantee you there's not that many people that actually give a shit. I guarantee right. you it's just a r- really loud group of maybe 50 to 100 people in the United States at most. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and that's usually how it is. They're just very efficient at making you feel terrible. <laughs> yeah, um, that that's the kind of thing that... Um is really indicative of the times. Yeah, honestly, this is a this is a sit an an issue of what I'm going to call overconnectedness. Yeah, and uh, again, this is a very new thing in human history. I think we're still just trying to get used to it. So yeah. I I get there's there's learning curves, um, and I think it's it's going to continue because it's generally younger people that are doing this who. You know, let's face it, don't always have the best impulse control. Um, I mean, your frontal cortex isn't even fully developed until you're in your mid-20s, you know. Um, I can think of several examples where I didn't have proper impulse control and maybe said things I regretted or, you know, tried to contact, you know, creators or things I was a fan of. Uh, you know, when talking about uh, basically the state of our current existence where we have such technology that keeps us way too connected um 
everything that you just described before making it specifically about uh, high school children sounded like our current president. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> Touche, sir. Uh, uh, yeah, there's like I, I also want to believe that it's just kids or millennials or just generally young people who want to uh, overly express themselves or feel some kind of connection to the creative process and yeah. being the kind of person who manages to change a writer's trajectory for their story. Yeah. Which could be avoided if we had already written it. Yeah. But yeah. The, the, just, the, the, just a little thought. Yeah. Marvel uh, DC. <laughs> Stop it. it I think there needs to be a serious conversation now about, one, how it is that we use Twitter, which I'm going to argue for the not-like-Donald-Trump route. (laughs) Um, But there also needs to be a conversation as to what we use Twitter for, because as as it stands right now, uh, when it comes to the world of comics... Apparently, it's much to the detriment of comic book writers, given that... At uh, times. Yeah. The, the most vocal people who are like mentioning comics at all on Twitter are usually the ones that have something negative to say. Yeah. And <laughs> when you go onto Twitter and that's all you're seeing... Uh, it becomes... It's hard to see the positive in what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. It, it's hard to assume that... It is just a minority, since it doesn't seem like anyone from the majority are speaking up about how good the book is. Yeah, and I mean, even if it was the majority, just tell the story you set out to tell. Right. If they don't like the final product, so be it. You you might be one of those underground books that just, like, grows over time. People are like, man, he was really ahead of his time, but the people didn't appreciate it at the time. How often does that happen in our culture with art and cartoons and uh, TV shows? How many TV shows out there or you know movies are out there that just don't get appreciated when they get released in the era? You know, um, too I, many and often way too late. I mean, you can even think to like the beginning of the crossover with uh, black players in sports. I think baseball is probably the perfect example yeah there was racists everywhere that raised the storm and said no we can't intermix this is fucking bullshit they got their own league you know and just raise the storm but there was a handful of owners that said no this is the right thing to do we're gonna take a chance and we're gonna let these guys in yeah and and it proliferated to the point where now (laughs) it is the norm and anything other than that would be outrageous you know yeah to try to obstruct anybody based on their the color of their skin to play a sport you know it's so silly exactly and so we can look in retrospect at those things and be like you know what they were ahead of their time i'm glad they did that i'm glad they stuck to their guns and didn't cave to criticism you know sometimes maybe the thing you're doing won't hold up to time but who cares right at least you you stuck to your guns you finished what you set out to do and you can be proud that you didn't cave to pressure and I think that's admirable in its own right. So Yeah, th- uh, there's definitely something to be said about uh, being able to start and finish a story mm-hmm. and come to the end of it realizing that there were no outside influences mm-hmm. on your story. There, there might yeah. be an editor there to make sure that 
your story makes sense. Yeah. Which is needed. But yeah. for a creator nowadays, which is unfortunately unheard of, for a creator to be able to completely construct a story and then just be able to tell it. Yeah. It's unheard of, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And I don't want to like sh- just outwardly shame these creators and editors. Like I understand we're not in your shoes. I'm sure if we were dealing with a constant assault of public media that we had to deal with every day where people were, you know, every time we flipped on our phone to Facebook, there was an article about how we s- did something stupid on this book or we we did something that was too progressive or too conservative with this book, you know, right. whatever the case may be. I'm sure that gets to you over time, and it's mentally exhausting, I'm sure. I'm certain of it. So I don't want to say, like, if you've done this in the past or if you do do this in the future, that you're a terrible person or you don't deserve to write or anything like that. In fact, I would encourage you to come forward and talk about it because the only way you can stop it, really, or calm it down, is to make people aware and if more than one creator, as they do in this article, comes forward and tells the honest truth that, yes, sometimes I caved and I, I rewrote it and I kind of regret it because the end product was watered down and not very good. Um, that empowers you and other writers who know that you also struggled with the same thing to go forward with their original premise and their original ideas and to stick to their guns. And I think that's the only way you can really empower yourself to do what's right for you creatively is to just be honest about it and forthright about it. And I have a lot of respect for Joe Caseta and Ward here in this article for coming forth and actually talking about it. Cause it's, I, it has to be embarrassing to even discuss it. I would imagine, um, I would trying to put myself in their shoes. I feel like I would be extremely embarrassed and it takes a great amount of courage to even discuss it. So I applaud them and anybody else who does come forward and discuss these things. Cause that's the only way you're going to end it. Uh, just got a few more examples in the quotes here. This is from Ward uh, when he was working on the, the book Strange Fruit with G.J. Jones, or excuse me, J.G. Jones, got that backwards, which is a tale about a black alien hero in the Jim Crow South. Quote, if I get criticism of, I didn't like that issue of The Flash, I can take that or leave that because it's not personal, he says. But when you say to me, you as a writer are doing me an injustice as a member of this race or this gender, then it gets, then it is more personal. I'm sure it's not meant to be personal, but you can't help but take that to heart because we're all trying to do our best and get it right and not piss anyone off and be socially aware. And there's so much criticism on Twitter that you can feel as if you have to bob and weave to avoid it. You tend to tone down the things you were going to do, take the edge off of some of your work. You ask, is this going to be offensive to this group or that group? Where it says, ironically, the greatest thing about Twitter can be the worst thing for creators, trying to find not just their voice, but a character's voice. Quote, the real important thing about Twitter as a mover and shaker in the world is that it gives a voice to the disenfranchised. If you're a black kid in Mississippi, your voice is every bit as loud as a white guy in Massachusetts on Twitter. It gives you a voice, and that's incredibly important. And that's a reason why, on the whole, Twitter is probably a force for good. But Wade can feel the sting. Again, quote, There's a difference between, I I didn't like the way this plot went, and I'm a Native American, and the way you portrayed my people insulted me, he says. The one is just a matter of story opinion. The other is much a much more informed opinion. 
Telling me that I've done something racist is more of an informed opinion. It has more weight, and it's harder to shake that off. Wade got shook. He took a Twitter sabbatical on April 4th, 2017, and he came back on November 16th, 2017. Truth, it was the only way to retrieve some old DMs. Then I lurked a bit, and it was a mistake. I'm signing back off shortly, he says. Sure enough, Wade has gone again on December 28th. He's happy to have lost the voices in his head. Quote, I know it's easy to just wave your hand and say, oh, you shouldn't pay attention, big deal, he says. But we're in a seismic era. We're at a time when this particular platform, Twitter, gives a disenfranchised, <coughs> gives the disenfranchised a stronger voice than they've had in a long, long time. It would be foolish not to at least listen whether you take heed or take action on what is said is up to you, but it would be foolish not to listen. <coughs> Dread God's writer, Ron Mars, knows that creators are listening and taking action, or perhaps inaction. He's been there before writing Green Lantern during the days of heat and the backlash over Hal Jordan's turn to evil. Quote, I don't know if it's pervasive, <clears throat> but there certainly are people who have buckled under online pressure, changed stories, left assignments, or maybe didn't take assignments because it was too hot to handle in their own perceptions. I suspect this with Joss Whedon's Batgirl. Very possible. That's not my way of approaching things, but I understand not everyone shares that belief. Mars's words ring true. Writer Colin Bunn left Aquaman in 2016, at least partially due to hate mail he received over the book's direction. For his part, Mars tries not to let online opinions influence his work. Quote, for God's sake, you better not let it have any effect, Mars says. Quote, I approach my work as my work, capital M, capital Y. I'm not crowdsourcing my work. I don't really care what your opinion is. I write the story that I, th I want to write and that my clients hire me to write. I don't sit down and think, well, what would 58% of my Twitter followers like to read? You are hired and tasked to do a story to the best of your ability, not the audience's ability, end quote. Mars is a very active Twitter user and sees it as a mixed bag. Quote, I do think the positives outweigh the negatives, but you have to curate your experience, he says. You don't get the interaction you deserve, but you get the interaction you allow. If you're muting or blocking people you don't want to interact with, the experience becomes much better. I know that's not necessarily fair. It requires time and effort to constantly prune the rotten apples from the orchard, but it's really the only way I know to gain control over your experience. When I get people throwing rocks because of some misguided agenda or just because they think it's fun, it's not worth the time to even respond. Mars continues, mute them or block them once you banish them to the phantom zone. They're just not there anymore. I assume those people still piss and moan at me, but I don't know and I don't care. So just some different uh, takes on the issue from creators themselves. And I again, there's more to this article. Please check it out. It's on Newsarama. Um, the forward, I'll put a link in the description. Forward slash 38836-does-twitter-destroy-creativity.html. <laughs> so uh, again, check that article out. It's really good, and it's really cool to read the, the, per the perspectives of all these creators and editors from across, across the industry. Um, again, I think the problem could be solved if we just wrote everything ahead of time, had the editor look at it and say, okay, we're going to break this here, 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 here and release it, you know, whatever, you know, yeah. give, give, give the creators, the creative teams a commission, 
say we need six issues by this date and then we'll break them up and release them for the beginning of next year or it'll be part of our big new launch or whatever the case may be you know instead of just living paycheck to paycheck and doing it a month or two months before you even release it you know um because then you get these delays that not only discourage readers and make readers forget about your title but it also encourages reactionary writing styles that are subject to influence from social media, from fan letters, from headline articles, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, in the end, it just, uh, for anyone who ends up caving to any kind of outside influence as far as, you know, maybe someone posts that uh, they found something that you put in your story offensive. Uh, maybe someone posts that uh, this particular plot point didn't make sense or that there's a gaping plot hole over here as to how, how was this character able to do this when like we didn't even see them anywhere near there yeah yeah it's just uh it, it's a recipe for what should be stories that they can call their own becoming stories that don't really end up belonging to them in the end yeah and that's that's the biggest point at the end, your creation is not your own. It's the audience's. It's, yeah. it's the handful of Twitters or the handful of article writers, <laughs> you know, on opinion sections of websites like IGN or something, you know. Um, it might be a handful of bigots that just yeah. happen to rub you the wrong way because you, you wrote a empowered black character and they didn't like it. Whatever the case may be, you know, these reactions happen across the board, across the spectrum. Uh, of opinions and comments and aspects and you know it's it's a shame but I do love that they came forward and actually discussed it in this article and I hope more people see it you know uh, yeah. unfortunately I feel like this article is going to pass a lot of people by and I hope that's not the case but um, it's a really good article and it's really great to see the perspectives I don't think the right answer is to just mute the ones that have a negative opinion either. I think that's probably a little too extreme and a little too childish because then you're just in an echo chamber of positivity for every little silly idea you might have. There's yeah. there's room for criticism. Yeah. But that doesn't mean change the direction of your current story, you know. Right. Maybe maybe if you feel that the criticism's valid, as Wade was talking about, where somebody was saying you wrote this Native American character or this black character and, you know, uh, I, it offended me because that's not been my experience and blah, blah, blah. And you you being a person that's not this cultural group or ethnicity or whatever the case may be, maybe don't understand it. Stick to your guns, finish the story, but in your following stories in the future, show that you did perhaps learn something if you think that criticism is valid. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a much better approach than just completely watering down you know, halfway through a storyline or a character line or whatever the case may be. Stick to your guns, finish your product, and then if you actually did learn something from the experience from online criticism, and maybe they had some valid criticisms, then adjust yourself into the future and show, reflect on why, you know. None of us are the same person we were even a year ago, let alone 10 years down the line, 5 years down the line, 20 years down the line, whatever. We all learn <laughs> at a gradual pace and through our experiences and through discussions with other people. Like even doing this podcast with you, I've learned so much. Just just talking. Oh, you know? yeah. 
I am not the same comic fan that I was at the beginning <laughs> of our podcast, you know, and I, I would expect you or not either. Oh, um, no, not even a little bit. I think uh, the discussion, the ongoing discussion that we keep having mm-hmm. is the, the kind of discussion that has been eye-opening. Yeah. Uh, it's in a lot of ways changed my perception about uh, mm-hmm. what it is that I do and don't like in comics. Yeah. Uh, it actually uh, has helped me better appreciate the process mm-hmm. that uh, is responsible for the creation of these comics in the first place. For sure. And I mean, even from like cultural standards, I mean, yeah. obviously I'm a pasty white dude. <laughs> uh, we we <laughs> do share some things in that we grew up kind of poor. Uh, you, yeah. you in the city in Columbus, I think, for most uh, of it, right? Uh, actually, most of it was in a suburb, okay. uh, Westerville. Yeah, and I was in the country country up yeah. until I was like 15. Then we moved to Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> so country country, <laughs> like middle of nowhere to Brooklyn, New York. And, you know, again, we're both pretty pretty poor, I'd say. I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know your, your complete history, but I'd say, like, financially, we have a similar background. We're both uh, heterosexual, but yeah. you have a child. Yeah. I don't have a child. So, like, there's a dam- dynamic where I can understand and learn from you. Yeah. Uh, you, you're ethnically, like, diverse. Uh, you have a Hispanic yeah. background. You have a black background. I'm my, sure there's some Europeans in there. My, my blood's got a lot going on. And then <laughs> mine is pasty white with like a little <laughs> spritz of other things. Just a little little salt bay on there. <laughs> <laughs> Genetic salt bay. Yeah. So like we have very different cultural contexts. You know, I, I think you grew up mostly in a Christian household. I grew up in a Baptist household that converted to a Jewish household uh, <laughs> based on ancestral knowledge and decided, eh, let's change it. <laughs> and then well, that, that became more of a secular background as I became an adult. So like, yeah. I, even from those little things, we can learn a lot from each other and we do learn a lot from each other. Yeah. And not only like just face-to-face in our daily interactions, but on this podcast itself and just our <laughs> comic book tastes and like how we perceive things in the world of comic books you know oh yeah so it's a great experience and i hope more writers come forth and talk about it and again i don't think the response is to just mute the ones that are negative i think the correct response is to take what you can from it if there is anything to be taken there's not always something to be taken from it but if there is put and keep it in mind in the future going forward not in the future of this current storyline that you're currently working on right um yeah i I think the one thing that uh, writers who are spending a lot of time listening to criticism on Twitter is uh, they run the risk of when they do decide to actually mute those voices, mm-hmm. having those voices become louder because like the, the flip side of an echo chamber is that uh, once you shut out that voice... Um, a voice which should just be in a room that's having a conversation. Yeah. Uh, once you put a wall between those two people, 
you've created two echo chambers. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, that's one echo chamber that's going to have uh, that writer reaching all of the voices that agree with him. Yeah, and all of the views that he wants to put forward. And then on the flip side, on the other side of that wall, there's the person who disagreed with what he mm. had in his comic. Yeah, uh, that's once, a that's a great point. Yeah, like once you close that wall. They become their own echo chamber with mm-hmm. through which they can have their views uh, become even louder amongst their own mm-hmm. like friends and followers and constituents and what have you. Yeah, uh, it's true. Th- it's the it's the risk you run, and that's actually something that I've been seeing more and more within the last few months mm-hmm. on Twitter is yeah. like I mean uh, even with our own president there's people suing him because <laughs> he blocked them on Twitter <laughs> because all they did was harass him all day and granted he probably deserves a bit of criticism but he's still a human being and he, I don't blame him for muting certain people for harassing him right. every day of their lives you yeah, know and technically the functionality of Twitter, you are within your right to yeah. mute someone. Yeah, um, and all it did was just intensify <laughs> their yeah. reactions because now they're taking it to court, right? <laughs> because it, he's a public official. Yeah. That, Whereas before, it was just annoying. Yeah. <laughs> you know that that's probably es- the escalation most, of the echo chambers. Yeah, that's probably the most extreme. Uh, example news, of that fake news, yeah. the fake media. I don't need to listen to this. It's fake news. And then the news just becomes more ridiculous to counter it. <laughs> and he becomes more ridiculous to counter them. And it just, it, right. You know, it, it's, it's the same thing yeah, in comic it, books. It's yeah. Echo chambers reverberating to the point where eventually yeah. the sound's going to get so loud that the walls just break down and no one has any ground yeah. to stand on. So I think the final solution, don't build the wall. <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter. On Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Hashtag don't build the wall. Dot, dot, dot on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good place to end the topic. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, I love learning from you, Anna Marie. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> and by that, I don't mean I like learning from me. I mean, I like learning from you as well. <laughs> um, but uh, this was a really good episode. Eh? Yeah. I don't even think that was a mediocre episode. I think that was a great episode. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for sticking with us. Uh, through episode 25 of Hit the Books podcast, technically 26, but uh, yeah, we lost 25 yeah, yeah, somewhere. It, yeah. it drowned. We'll, we'll call it, uh, it 25 plus 26. Yeah, we muted episode 25. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, it became an echo chamber and yeah, then it's voiced itself sh- in this one. Yeah, it's currently shouting at us from Twitch. <laughs> um, Vimeo, that's where it is. Oh, it's sweet on, Jesus. It's on Vimeo shouting at us. <laughs> shouting at us for like the last uh, 20 minutes because that's the only good audio. Um, remember you can always check out our podcast which comes out weekly on the day of your comic book releases Wednesday Um, sometimes we're a little late like last week we didn't have an episode because the audio crashed but usually we give you a warning oh yeah (laughs) but we try to get there to you every Wednesday we're on Stitcher we're on iTunes we're on YouTube currently we're looking to get on Spotify we're looking to get on SoundCloud pretty soon here Um, but it it, oh yeah the branches all these things are available to you if you go to our website www.htbvids.com, htbvids.com, 
right on that first homepage, you got buttons that'll take you to every feed and every YouTube channel or whatever, and then you can subscribe, and then you don't have to go to the website anymore anyway. Yeah. There's, there's no advertisements on the website, so you don't have to worry about getting a virus you know, or pop-up <laughs> ads or any kind of nonsense. You can just go and navigate the site. We got other content on the website, too, if you care to... In- join into that if you want to join in the discussion be sure to leave comments uh under the the video and maybe hit us up on twitter at htb vids vids on twitter there and you can hit hit us up on uh facebook at facebook.com forward slash hit the books hit the books oh yeah all one word uh Again, I want to thank you all for sticking with us. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sorry for missing last week. Uh, it was beyond our control, unfortunately. <laughs> and on, yeah. be- on behalf of Bob, myself, and Emery, I want to thank you all for sticking with us through 25 episodes. I can't believe it's been 25, 25 episodes, episodes already. Oh, man. It yeah. doesn't seem like it's been that long, but man. <laughs> And that doesn't include our video reviews and instructional videos, shameless plug, (laughs) (laughs) on our YouTube channel there. So uh, we did a Black Panther review two weeks ago. We were supposed to boost it on the last episode, but (laughs) we lost the episode. Yeah. Uh, But if you're interested in our takes on Black Panther and what we liked, what we didn't like, uh, spoiler alert, we both liked it. (laughs) We both liked it a lot. Uh, Be sure to check that out. And again, like and subscribe because it really does help us out. We're trying to get that vanity URL on our YouTube channel. So we don't have to give people a big <laughs> discombobulated link that doesn't make any sense. Weird hexadecimal letters, numbers, it, it doesn't make sense. None <laughs> of it. <laughs> so once again, thank you so much. We will see you next week. Danger zone. <laughs>